to another episode of the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. I am your host. My name is Brian Vitali. We've got the usual crew here with me once again. We have Josh Torres. The pre-Halloween special podcast. Adam Vitali. Hello. James Galizio. Hey, folks. And Chow Min Wu. I'm going to do the pro move, watch 10 romance movies during Halloween. Why? Romance movies? Yeah. This could be watch a terrible anime movie, and we're like, watch the real life ones. They're better. I mean, there I guess that, 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 that is horror in a way. Like, if it's... Yeah, okay. I, I can dig it, actually. Some of those romance movies can be considered horror. Sometimes those are harder to sit through than mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> So are you guys dressing up for Halloween? Uh, no. Nope. I'm, I'm over 30, so I, I, I don't think yeah, I am over 30. <laughs> are you going to dress up for Halloween? Me and my girlfriend are uh-huh. going to go into work as like Waldo and Winda from Where's Waldo. Oh, okay, that's pretty good. good. Yeah. Then you have to like hide it's them. Easy, right it's, a very, it's, it's, a, it's a very easy costume. It's yeah. also a very easy costume where apparently there's like so many like knockoff. Like if you go to Amazon and search for a Waldo costume, there's like three dozen. How many? It's just, a, it's just a striped sweatshirt. <laughs> how many jokes do you think, like, uh, of how where the world is Waldo? You're gonna get it. Uh, I'm expecting to hear "found you" a bunch of times uh, for our international true. audience. It's Wally. Oh, oh yeah, okay. it's it's Waldo or Wally, depending on where you live. If you That's find true. me and trick or treat my house, I'll give you <laughs> a full bar of Kinder Surprise. Oh, okay, so yeah, so usually what kinds of candies do you guys give out for trick-or-treat? Or do you guys, like, don't have many many trick-or-treaters, so do you just, like, skip it all? Uh, so, uh, oh. I, live, I, live, I live in a townhouse, and mm-hmm. my doorbell doesn't work, and I've never <laughs> bothered to tell them that it's broken, <laughs> so, like, if kids come to my door, I will never know. Sorry. Yeah, they're kind of like angry house for not giving them candy. Dang, alright, so, so we have... <laughs> Okay, so someone just like fuck them kids. All right. <laughs> uh, I usually just go to Costco and get like whatever variety bag of candy. But I, I don't. I, I've hated Tootsie Rolls since forever. Mm-hmm. So I try Me not too. to give that, give out Tootsie Rolls. I don't like Tootsie Rolls. Uh, I remember. I, I remember like where I grew up trick or treating. You'd come home and like forty percent of your candy were Tootsie Rolls. I'm like, this is worthless. It might as well just be dirt. I actually like it. I, 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 I gotta admit, it's Tootsie Rolls and licorice. I don't like them. Not not a fan. And, and what? Liquish. Liquish. Like the, like, like the, it's like like the like the, the red swirly uh, licorice. Licorice uh, is it licorice? They have a brand. They're called like Twizzlers. I forgot what they're called. Well, there's yeah, there's, there's the, oh, Twizzlers and it's like red vines and there's other like brands like yeah Australia's best licorice or whatever because supposedly that's where you get your good stuff. But I I like I like strawberry licorice. I don't like licorice flavored licorice, which I guess is like. You know, strawberry licorice is like fake licorice, but that's what Twizzlers and like red vines are, I guess. I, I think. Um, I like I like Skittles and Starburst. I've been like a sweet tooth. I know that's like really juvenile, but that's what I like. Um, regular gonna, regular anyone, vanilla Hershey bars. Is anyone um, going to be the right. hero household and buy boxes of like full size bars to give to give away for Halloween? <laughs> the, hero the king house. size bar. The full yeah, size. I, I did it once. I did it once. Wow, dang! And are you the hero? House is so generous. Did the kids love you after that? Uh, well, but you know, there's not much people trick or treating these days. You can probably yeah. count them with your hand these days. Yeah, I don't know how how popular trick or treating like house the houses is. 
Last couple of years, I always got like twenty or so. I for me, I, I'm very weak to crunch. I've always been a big fan of crunch. It's I, I actually, yeah, I'm. A, I actually am a big fan of any any sort of chocolate bar that has like that puffed rice crunch yeah. or a or a hundred grand or any other yeah, of those versions. All right, too. Yeah. yeah. And and the uh, worst chocolate bar, Mr. Good Bar. It's Mr. Terrible. Good Bar. It's yes. vomit. Oh, yes. so bad. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot to like that was a thing until you reminded you, like, oh yeah. It, you only can get it in like the Hershey's like variety packs. They have Mr. Good Bar, and then they have Crackle, which is basically the Hershey version of Crunch, and it's fine. That's um, a, that's it, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but then like the the Mr. Good Bar is supposed to be like Hershey peanut, but the chocolate is like really not that Hershey chocolate is amazing either, but. The, the Mr. Good Bar chocolate is so like chalky and bad. I don't know what it is. Just, what did you do to it? Sorry. Well, let's start reviewing candy bars on the site. So the, this is a candy bar review podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of like other cases they did. Like, like I, I didn't like those like um, what were they called? Like whoopers or whoppers? Like, like they're like oh the, the malt balls. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love those. Oh, I, like man, those. I don't like those. I, can, they're, I can't they're, have they're, a lot of them, but I I think I they have a really unique cool. taste. Yeah. You get the Rolos that like suck out your teeth. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Who who liked um the the ring lollipops when they were a thing? Uh, my niece does. When I was like six. <laughs> how old your How old your niece? <laughs> She's like twelve. Oh, okay. <laughs> Only for a couple more years, maybe. Are, do they still sell ring lollipops, or do they not a thing? Yeah, anymore? there's one day she's like, "Can we go to Seven Eleven? I want candy." I'm just sure ring pops that one exist. ring lollipop and we went home. I'm like, is that all we went there for? No. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, that there's the the annual candy update from the crew. Yeah, so we are like we stated at the at the outset, the last podcast that we're recording in October. We're going into the end of year slate. Really, only one more one more real good month. Of gaming before we get to the end of the year so on the back end on our we've been starting to schedule out end of the year stuff trying to plan a date for our big uh game of the year podcast so that's starting to square up in the background of course we do have a few more releases coming out in november that we have some people poking away at getting ready for coverage on those things uh but as we go into the last week of october we do have a few games to talk about here um yeah, new slate, uh, kind of light at this point. We'll be talking more about release games than uh, news. I don't, you know, we're at the time of the year where publishers, uh, developers aren't really announcing new stuff until next calendar year. Uh, in terms of the RPG slate, not a lot has come out. Uh, we have a few more releases coming out in November that we have people working away uh, to cover those games when they come out. We do have at least one title to talk about this week. We also have a few non-RPG releases that have released uh, in the last couple of weeks that we kind of have a good chance here to talk about them for those that have been playing those. So we'll, we'll kind of deviate from our from our core focus just for this podcast to talk about a few of those other recent releases. But to start out, we're going to talk about a game that Adam's covered for us, uh, and that is Dark Envoy. So Adam, uh, this is a little bit of a lesser known game, so go ahead and tee us up. Uh, what is Dark Envoy? What were your thoughts on it? And just take it from there. Yeah, so Dark Envoy is an indie CRPG from a Polish studio. Uh, it was actually announced like four years ago before COVID, and it uh, was delayed several times, you know, during the course of that period. But this is a game that was kind of interesting to me off the off the bat. It's you know, it's a it's a computer RPG. It's kind of a mix between fantasy and technology, and you know, I was just sort of curious about it. it. Had some class building systems. Had like a dual protagonist system. 
so I decided to check it out. You know, just curious about it. They sent over a code, and I was like, sure, why not? Sometimes you can find a diamond in the rough um, for these indie RPGs. So Dark Envoy, let me just start out with... Um, I reviewed it on the site. I gave it a six. So a six to me is like maybe one, a few small like positives, but a lot of stuff holding it back. And let me start out with the positives because this is also the very first thing you'll encounter when you um, when you open up the game, if you were to play it, is that the thing I liked about Dark Envoy the most was its class systems. It has four different classes. You have Engineer, you have Adept, which is like a mage. You have the Long Range class, which is a few different types. And then you have basically the melee class. So four different classes. And when you open up Dark Envoy, like the very first thing you see is a character creator. But like I said, it's a dual protagonist system. So you're not actually creating one character, you're creating two. And they're basically a brother-sister pair. So you create a brother and a sister. Their names are Malachi and Kayla. And you are basically free to make them whatever class you want. And so I imagine well, let me just say, the you spent a quite a bit of time at the early parts of the game with only these two characters. So I kind of imagine how you sort of approach the game, especially early on, is going to could vary quite a bit from person to person, depending on how you build these characters. So I decided, of course, okay, I'll have Malachi be sort of the tanky, not necessarily DPS, but kind of like the, the aggro, like everyone attack me and I'll stay alive. So I try to give him skills to help him with that sort of build. And I made Kayla the sort of the range DPS, kind of, okay, give her skills that raise her critical chance, more attacks off, things like that. And there's quite a variety of skills that you can select, as well as the more typical um, uh, attributes that you can set for each character in terms of their stats, in terms of like, do you build their attack, their defense, their ability, cooldowns, things like that. Now, when you actually are playing this game, there's actually one game that it kind of reminded me of most. Well, before I get to that, it's a CRPG with a real-time with pause system. So I, would, I, I, I like the, to think that you guys are familiar with those. Um, but it's very fast. And in fact, I have seen people compare this game to Diablo, which is sort of weird. I wouldn't really consider it like that isometric action RPG. I think it's really more that classic computer-style RPG, you know, like a Baldur's Gate only modern, uh, classic Baldur's Gate. Yeah. But uh, the game that actually reminded me of most was the Diofield Chronicle, is what it Ooh. reminded me of most. Ah. Which is, um, the reason why is that you have, you, you start out with the two characters, but you ultimately get a party that you can select four. Same class size or party size as Diofield. And basically how it works is that everything is acting in real time. You navigate these maps they're not very elaborate maps. They're pretty straightforward, kind of like linear lines or sometimes like a square that you just kind of circle around. And enemies will spawn in and, you know, start moving towards you. And there's no, this isn't turn-based. There's no, uh, you know, turns or anything like that. So they'll start attacking and you'll start attacking at the same time. And then you, your characters will, start, will begin to do their, their kind of standard normal attacks on their own, you know, without any input. But then they have a, a line of, each character has a line of cooldown abilities that they can activate. You know, they can be buffs, they can be an attack, they can be a movement, things like that. And as the enemies are attacking you, almost every single ability in the game has a, has like an AOE 
uh, like indicator. You know what I mean by that? You know, it tells you, okay, this person right. is doing an attack that that reaches out in an arc in front of them. So kind of a warning to get you to move. Or it's a circular spell that it's attacking this area. So you're kind of uh, playing this, actually playing this game. You're spending a lot of time kind of micromanaging your party, kind of moving them into safe positions and using their cooldown abilities to have to attack the enemies that are kind of swarming you. So to me, that felt like Diofield because Diofield is very similar in that sense, um, mm -hmm. in terms of kind of how you approach combat. Only uh, Dark Envoy is a lot. They're bigger maps, and there are way, way more enemies. And this will get to my probably my biggest kind of annoyance with the game. This isn't necessarily like bad design or anything like that. It just kind of felt like improperly tuned or balanced, maybe. When when you are navigating a map in the Dark Envoy, let me just paint a picture. It's what you might expect. It's isometric. It's top down. You select your party. You kind of move them in real time, just like any CRPG, really. And then you'll see enemies on the map. They'll show up on a mini map. You see the little red dots. Like, okay, let's encounter these enemies and take them out. Um, but almost every single combat encounter in this game becomes like a wave based battle where the first five enemies that you encounter will start to attack you and then like five more just sort of pop up out of nowhere really and then they'll attack you and then five more and then five more and then five more and you kind of just have to like keep fighting until the enemies stop responding and almost every single battle in the game is like that and i felt this it's this is hard for me to like verbalize maybe but i always felt that like each battle was just like 50 percent too long does that make sense it's just kind of like sense. man, yeah. just, man yeah. like i just had to keep like i just i'm kind of like bored almost like all right i'm just fighting these enemies all right was that the last wave nope there's one more was that the last wave nope here's another one it's just kind of like okay when, when I, you say when you say you have to keep <laughs> fighting until they stop respawning is that like you literally have no other choice or is yeah. it like they're spawn they're spawning from some generator no, some buildings it's not something oh. you can like there, there isn't like a spawn point you can like destroy or anything like that to like get them to stop it's just kind of like they'll respond on this battlefield there's literally a meter that shows up in the ui that basically says energy energy enemy reinforcements and you basically have to keep fighting them until the meter fills and then then you're done and I just kind of felt like so, no choice there's no there's yeah. no tactic there there's no well I uh, I'm not gonna do how do I word this? You can't avoid like it. You can't. You can't. Like, uh, like an advanced wars. No. Yeah. There is no advanced wars. Like stop the uh, destroy the building that's spawning the enemies or anything like that. And I don't mind the idea. Like okay, you have to beat a couple of waves of enemies. In fact, Diofield was similar. It had respawns, but I I just kind of felt like there's always like one or two too many per battle, and it just it just kind of dragged. And I even said in my review, it kind of makes me appreciate Diofield being a little bit more bite sized. If you remember Dealfield from about a year ago, those missions were pretty quick, pretty short. Not a lot of, there were some enemy reinforcements, but usually only like one or two waves, not that much. Like those missions were quick. Yeah, you, feel like, you feel like you're rather, you're, you're constantly fighting a battle of attrition rather just yeah. like, uh, rather than like being, like taking out the, the enemies like with a, ta like a tactical, you know, in a, yeah. in a tactical manner. Yeah, like I, I even, I said in my review also, I would have much preferred just, Smaller numbers of enemies, maybe bolster their health a little bit if you're going to make it lesser amounts of enemies. But just the wave after wave after wave, it kind of got old really quickly. Um, and also, the other annoying thing about, or the one, the thing that annoyed me about the game's combat is that 
there are a couple different settings you can choose for your characters to kind of have them act on their own, um, which on its face is is good. Like there's a setting that you can do that they'll actually like use skills on their own, so you don't need to like manage micromanage four different characters all at once, making sure they're using their skills properly. You can set up you can have a couple of settings to make sure they like um, buff themselves or do their abilities when their cooldowns are free and whatnot. And they actually that part actually totally works invented okay. a Final Fantasy XII's Gambit system. Yeah, I mean it's not it's actually not nearly as intricate as Gambit. Uh, <laughs> um, but the one thing that I felt they that the, the characters were really really stupid at in terms of like their AI performance is that those AOE indicators that I mentioned before, they would just stand there like, oh, look, there's a spell coming. I'm just going to stand here and use my ability, my attack abilities. It's like, no, you should move away first and then do your attack ability. Uh, yeah, please, so, please move on in yellow or yeah, I, assume, I assume yellow. It's red and blue. Is. It's different colors. But, um, oh, okay. but yeah, so I kind of felt like playing this game, I felt like the characters using their attack abilities, they were actually perfectly fine at it, and I could almost just let them do what they wanted when they're attacking. But the thing that they couldn't do well was the getting out of the way. So me playing the game, what I'm actually doing is basically playing like chaperone or babysitter. Like, all right, who's in? Oh, I gotta move Kayla to the left a little bit. All right, Kayla, you're safe <laughs> now. Do what you want. Uh, oh, uh, Benedict, you gotta move you over here a bit. Uh, all right, Benedict, you're safe now. Do what you want. Oh, Kayla, you gotta move again. Move her, move her out of the way. Okay, you're good. Uh, oh, Mikhail, uh, Malachi, you, you know what I'm saying? I just kind of felt like every battle yeah. is mostly just me moving characters out of the way. That's the combat. That's the gameplay. Moving characters out of the way. So that's that uh, sounds sounds like some MMO raids. <laughs> sort of. Just <laughs> Final Fantasy 14 bosses, from what I can tell. I've never played Final Fantasy 14, but just get out of the way. Um, so don't, don't stand in danger, please. So yeah. Um, so I like the class system. the rest of the game. Yeah, I mean, okay, so like I said, I gave it a six. So unfortunately, it's kind of negative. Um, I like the class system. I felt like there was some really cool, like, party coordination stuff you could do, which is also a thing I liked about Dio Field. Um, now, the story stuff kind of, it, I never really latched onto it. I, I hesitate to say that it's bad, but it, it the pacing is strange. You spend about the first third of the game kind of doing like, so let me set the premise. There's a war going on between places or factions called the Empire and the League. You don't really know why there's a fighting, there's a war. There's just a war going on. Now, Malachi and Kayla are refugees. They're living kind of on the outskirts of the country with, you know, other people trying to basically build a life while there's a war going on. They're not really, you know, in the war zone, but, you know, obviously it affects everything around them and you know it's maybe mildly interesting but you spend about the first third of the game kind of doing like fetch quest type stuff which is kind of like let's we're scavengers we're, we're trying to find treasure we're trying to make a living and then the middle third of the game or maybe i should say even longer than that you're you basically do a couple of like mini fetch quests for the empire do a couple of them for the league it's just not really very interesting stuff it's it doesn't really explain what's going on with the war it just you're you're just kind of it it kind of just feels like it's spinning its wheels a bit and then about like 85 90% of the way through the game there's like a story event where you kind of finally realize oh here's what's going on here's the actual villain here's the conflict that's actually you know why there's a conflict in the first place and then like shortly after that you fight the final boss and you beat the game and it's like to me it kind of felt like it came in way too late um 
not necessarily that the game ended early or anything like that. I just kind of felt like it needed to be like shunted up the timeline a bit, if that makes sense. Um, so basically, did the game spend too much time to just like intrigue about like, we don't know what's going on. Yeah. Isn't that isn't, isn't that mysterious? Blah, blah, right. blah. With yeah. the dual protagonist system, I, I guess mm-hmm. I guess what I'm talking what I'm thinking about is like, uh, do the brother and sister have like their their own voice and distinct personalities yes. that like participate in the story? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So the characters in this game are just like characters in any other computer RPG, you know, Baldur's yeah. Gate yeah. or or what have you. They're they're set characters with set voices, and Malachi and Kayla, you can kind of build them how you want with different classes, and you can even change their appearance, but. They have voices, they have lines, they have story. They're not like the Baldur's Gate 3 protagonist who kind of just mumbles in battle. Um, and you don't have um, you don't have a lot of dialogue options. There's a few. But they're basically just a pair of characters, you know, okay. like any other character. And actually, out of all the characters, they are the most interesting ones. They're a brother-sister okay, brother, pair. And I've always kind of liked the brother-sister dynamic in terms of, you know, uh, characters who are close, kind of family, that sort of bond. I've always kind of liked that sort of that sort of dynamic. Um, and Malachi and Kayla are are the most interesting characters of the bunch. There are six other characters that join your team, and none of them are really any interesting or are good. Sorry, um, I honestly kind of it's hard. It's almost hard for me to describe like who they are because they're so bland. There's like a character mm-hmm. who's sort of like a, these... knight, a knight captain that joined you. There's a character who's like a mage from like a long lived. Uh, race. Um, there's a character who is like an engineer dork kind of character. There's a character who is um, like a, a mercenary who's very cold. She's like an elf sort of sort of character, and she's kind of like I'm just here to do my job. They're just besides like maybe like a, a front facing you know personality that I can describe in a sentence or two. That's kind of all there is to them. So are these characters you're gonna like forget like after a year? Yeah, I will completely forget these characters. I I forget their names now. (laughs) Benedict, I remember, is the night captain. Um, the 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 mercenary girl starts with an S. It's like Server Silva something. I don't remember. There's a a winner. (laughs) She was a good character in combat. So that's the thing. I actually kind of like using these characters in combat and messing with their skills and whatnot, which is the thing I liked about this game. I'll reiterate. Just as characters, and just like I don't care. Look, I, I, I get it, right? Like I think about like uh, like Fire Emblem Fates, um, the, oh, yeah. The, yeah, like a, of like really good gameplay. Uh, um, yeah, uh, but but the characters themselves, I don't fucking remember names. I don't yep. necessarily like kind of what their deal was. I don't remember who I paired them up with. But man, they were good in combat. So <laughs> I get it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So long story short. The characters not really that great besides the main two story kind of bland not not like actively like aggravating or annoying or badly written it's just kind of like almost like just there's it's just thin and then um uh the one other thing is that there are at certain points throughout the game you do get to make like choices like for example early on you go to like an outpost that's guarded by mercenaries or like bandits. And you, you basically can like decide, like literally a, po- a choice pops up and you have to select it. Do you want to just take out the bandits? Like just get rid of them, kill them? Uh, or do you want to make a deal, kind of pay them a little bit of like, you basically give them a bribe to kind of work for you and stay out of your way. And it seems like these choices that you make do have some minor effect on further quests. 
And there's like one point in the middle of the game where you either side with the Empire or the League. And that's probably like the more major choice that you make. And that I imagine there's a there may be a main mission or two that is different in the middle of the game, depending on if you which faction you join. But it still feels like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Any of these choices, they don't really feel like very reactive otherwise. So there's that that choice in the in the middle of the game, and sure, there's some small differences, but otherwise, it wasn't really gripping to me. And the ending of the game does what a lot of these computer RPGs do. Uh, Brian will know what I'm talking about for sure, where it'll kind of like it feels like what the game is doing is it kind of like takes the choices you make throughout the game, and it kind of like it does like a slideshow ending. Do you know where I'm going with this, Brian? Where it's just kind of like, oh yeah, oh, how is how is how did you solve? this quest all right if you solved it with the with the left path we'll, we'll show you this page of the slideshow if you showed it with if you if you solved it with the right hand path you will show you this page of the slideshow all right next 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 slide we'll do the next quest if you solved it a we'll show you this if you solved it b we'll show you this next page you know like it kind of just gives you a slideshow of like you did this in this quest and it's like oh okay <laughs> yeah, it doesn't really like synthesize them together into anything interesting. It's just but like, you know, you know what I'm summary. saying, right? I kind of felt like I was kind of no, no, it makes sense. Okay, yeah, that slideshow ending is what I'm going to call it, where it's kind of just basically picks, it basically choose, shows you the the choices of your individual side quests that you made. So, and yeah, um, that's about it. It was I kind of went into so, this game really interested in it, kind of curious about it, giving it a shot. Um. Uh, the last thing I'll say, and this is something I, I feel I shouldn't be too critical about because this is an indie game, very small scale. And I've actually felt this way about other games before. It does have like fully modeled characters and some choreographed scenes and cutscenes and things like that. But it feels, you know, low budget, which is not really a knock against the devs. They're an indie dev with not a lot, you know, resources. But I, I almost would have rather they just spent there's a couple of scenes in the game where they kind of use like a comic book style art, um, which is cheaper, I would imagine. But it's just kind of like more stylistic. And I, I think that would like just almost portray the story better rather than these kind of awkwardly cheap cutscenes. And again, I'm not trying to knock too hard on the game. I just kind of feel like it, they almost bit off more than they can chew in a sense in terms of trying to show, you know, trying to have like a... a a highly cinematic game. It's not that cinematic, but like showing these like cutscenes and whatnot. Like I would have rather they just had like comic book art or whatever that that they did that more often. Because the, the what the game was it that you said like there was like a three D model that was very very basic and kind of low poly next to like two D art that was really well drawn. Uh, I forget what game it was. Oh, but there was a game I mean, where like... I, I think I, I think you might be talking about Neuta, which is a PSP game, which. You know, oh, okay. that's not so that's not quite the same thing. Game. That's not quite the same thing. Yeah, you're it's right. like stylized from a game ten years ago versus the model, the the character art. But still, again, I didn't. I, I mentioned this in my review, but it it doesn't really factor into my 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 overall thought or score much because it's just like, oh, okay, it's a small budget game. They're they're working with the what they have and their means. But I just like it. I kind of would rather they just done like the more stylized art versus trying to have these highly detailed models. But yeah, so unfortunately a little bit disappointing, but I wanted to give it a shot. We do cover indie RPGs on RPG side. I actually think we do a pretty good job at it, um, both Japanese and Western. So I gave it a shot. When I, yeah, I mean, when I, you were talking, when you were talking about the dialogue choices, I was trying to think of like what makes a good dialogue choice. And to me, like, oh, this is 
off the top of my head, so I haven't really thought about this too much, but it could be two things. Like one, how consequential is it? Like, oh, if I make one of these choices, this is going to have to like change. Like, like I want it to like lock me out of things or put put a faction against me. I want it to matter or make it so that there is not an obvious best choice whether that's moral best or most rewards best where it's like i'm not sure what i should what i should be doing in this case um i wish i could think of an example of like a key of a key choice made in in an rpg that i've played recently uh that would have something like that there's certain things in like um is is really reactive in general just like it feels like every choice you make has maybe not a big effect but it seems like uh, small effects kind of all over the place. So. Yeah, I'd say Baldur's Gate three does a, is a pretty like decent example of like uh, some like pre- pretty meaningful uh, choices because you don't really exactly see the ripples. You don't actually it, it does a good job masking the gears uh, behind the scenes of like what what how how you respond will affect you later on. Um, it's it's hard to say you can't really like connect the dots right then and there. Um, but but it's always like a fine line between like what makes like like a quote unquote good dialogue choice versus like a fun one because like uh, like for sometimes I just like, like uh, when I'm like not expect like I don't need every game to have like a, a good dialogue choice system like for some games I'm okay with ha- having it fun ones like for example like Alpha Protocol um, oh, yeah. when you have like a, like like when you take on like an aggressive like response like it's not it's that game is very infamous for like. Having like an aggressive response, but like what it's not to say what you what you say uh, what you say versus what you do. So like say like a character will be like, "Do you agree with my turn?" And you'll say like the 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 choice might be like hell no, and like you choose hell no, thinking you're gonna say hell no, but instead your character just like slams their head into the table and yes. like kicks it to the side. I actually like, remember that yeah. scene specifically. <laughs> uh huh. I mean, for me, it's just like, goody, yeah, for me, it's just like, that's a really funny, and I love it. <laughs> if it's an oldie buddy goodie, hopefully it's still up, but if you go to YouTube and just type, I think it's Michael Thornton. The psychopath. Uh, Michael Thornton's psychopath. <laughs> and, <laughs> just watch that YouTube video. Yeah. Alpha it's Protocol like, is, I, I like, love Alpha Protocol. It's like, I don't know, the story is whatever, and the gameplay is buggy and whatever, but that's so charming, system, though. It's so oh, goofy, and I love it. Yes, yeah. It, 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 like, it's so, it's memorable, and it's so, just like, it, it's so over-the-top and stupid, that, like, you can't help but have a fun time, like, laughing at what you're looking at. <laughs> there's a part in the game where I you're thought... like, there's a part in the game when you first meet Stephen Heck, who is a very interesting character, voiced by Norland North, <laughs> um, and he's like, he, the first thing you see, he's like trying to get like uh, a hostage to drink bleach, I think, or something like that. And you could basically say like, "Hell yeah, I'm in," you know, I, "I'm gonna join." Like, I'm into this. And apparently, that hostage is like totally innocent anyway. Um, it's very, it's it's kind of a weird game, but I love it. Uh, I thought of a, a dialogue choice near the end of Baldur's Gate Three with the. I'm not gonna say what the choice is, but just refer you guys to it. Near the end of Estarion's quest, what you do with the oh, trolls. Oh, yeah. Yep. That, okay, that, yeah, yeah. That, that choice is a choice where it's like, does that have a lot of impact on the game? Well, not really, because it's late, and it, at that point, there's not a lot of ripples that can be spun out of that, but it's one of those choices where you're like, I don't know what I should do. I, th- You know, where you like have to like really weigh like what is the best thing to do, or if you're antagonist, worst thing to do. Maybe it's a little bit more clear in that case, but that, that's a, that's an example of a good choice. Even if it doesn't, it doesn't have to be consequential to be good. That's, I guess that's another game that I think had and, and, a decent dialogue choices and stuff. Wasteland Three. Um, mm, yep. So early on, 
in the game, um, there's a basically a conflict in what Colorado. This is this game's a couple years old. So I got to recall this by memory. In Colorado Springs with Lucia, is that her name? Where you find her family, and they have been murdered. Yep. So early game spoilers. And basically, um, there's you, Lucia meets the people who are responsible for this. And there's like a handful of things you can do there. You can basically just have Lucia kind of go murder crazy and kill all of them. You can basically say like, no, we have to arrest them. We have to do this, you know, the proper way. Or you can even just kind of be an asshole yourself. And then that also ties into the how the factions balance out in the actual town of Colorado Springs. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff with a character known as the Patriarch. And like, what do you do with the Patriarch? Um, the Patriarch, I actually think, is one of the best sort of villain antagonist characters I've seen in an RPG. I want to write about this one day, but um, <laughs> it's been two years. I need to get to that. But uh, he's sort of the, he's sort of a character, really brief here, where he's like the pillar of the community. He's the only thing holding this city up. If he goes, there's going to be a lot of death and a lot of issues. But the thing is, is he's a shitty person with basically building the city on corpses. And there's kind of this whole thing throughout the game is like, what do you do with this guy? Do you just let him go? Do you destroy him at the pain of a lot of other things that are going to happen if you do that? And so when you actually are making choices in that game, you're all you're, you're kind of sitting there like, fuck, what do I do? So those are, those are, those are interesting. Yeah, so I, I love when, if that's my gut reaction. I love that. Like, fuck, which choice do I make? Damn it. <laughs> like, like in terms of like, I don't know which one I should do. And that's I like being inconvenienced like that. Yeah. If it's if it's an obvious choice, it's a boring choice. That, that's a, that, that was like always, always my main issue. Like, say, like Mass Effect, for example, it's like, oh, do I pick the blue choice or the red choice? Well, what benefits me gameplay wise, you know? Yeah. In, in Mass Effect, that Paragon Renegade sort of system, you I feel like most people, when they play those games, they decide at the onset that I'm going to be Renegade or I'm going to be Paragon. And then from then on, you pretty much don't have to make any choice. You're just like, well, I'll pick the Renegade choice because I'm doing a Renegade playthrough, you know? Yeah. So you're not really even making any more decisions at that point. You're just picking the choice that aligns with your playthrough. But anyways. If you were able to play through Mass Effect and like were able to like find like the gray path, or I don't know what to call it, like people that people that can like have like they can fight that urge to be a hundred percent paragon or renegade. I envy them because sometimes that's that's hard for me to fight against. In some games, but actually, sort of penalize you. In this case, some games yeah. almost penalize you if you're trying to do like middle ground because like you get more bonuses or whatever if you're like yeah. max one side or the other. So. Well, thank you, Adam, for talking to us about Dark Envoy, and we do have your review up on the site. The second game that we're going to talk about is not not an RPG, but it is a, a new release that we were able to um, get some early access to that James has been able to play, and that is Alan Wake 2. So I know it's a little bit out of our normal wheelhouse, but we'll go ahead and do it just for this one week because we can. Um, yep. So James, well, first of all, before I hand off to James, who here in this podcast has played the original Alan Wake from like 10 plus years ago? I have. I did, but I will. I want to replay through it, and, and I, I want to play through Control before I touch this game. So whenever I have time, really. Yeah, I would definitely say that um, this game is just as much of a follow up to Control, at least in the plot like sense, uh, as it is a follow up to like Alan Wake One. Mm -hmm. Which I mean, it makes sense considering like Control had a whole expansion that was 
the Alan Wake expansion. Yeah, so. uh, but it's it's good to see that like the the sequel that you know Alan Wake fans have been waiting for for so fucking long. Like it seems like they really knocked it out of the park here. Oh yeah, this is. It's like. The original Alan Wake I enjoyed, but uh, one of the problems with it was that it felt like, I don't know, like people can say that Alan Wake 1 was a horror game, and I guess technically it was, but it just felt like it was trying to be more of an action game, and it didn't really feel like it hit it was, the mark. It was, it was more like original Resident Evil 4 quote-unquote horror. It was very more like Hollywood action with some, yeah. you know, scary designs and lighting, dark lighting, but not really something that really got you scared or dreadful. Yeah, meanwhile, Alan Wake 2 is very much a survival horror game. They were not kidding when they said that it was their first survival horror game. It's like, you've got some old school resident evil dna you've got some silent hill dna and then like the actual gameplay is very similar to like resident evil 2 remake i'd say i've heard that the, like for, uh, for some people that, 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 that i do like and respect and like um you know whatever whatever they say like you know i usually uh you know pay heed to what they're, what they're saying like for some of them they say that there's like the best survival horror since like silent hill 2 to them and i'm like holy shit i love silent hill 2 like definitely one of my favorite survival horrors so see like having that comparison be like oh my god <laughs> that seems really exciting then yeah um but yeah i i don't want to talk about the story because mm-hmm. it goes places like uh as you would expect um but uh game is absolutely gorgeous like it is probably the best looking game to have released especially on pc like obviously I have a 4090, so I'm playing it maxed out, and it's wow, wow. Just yeah, you shared some photos of the game with HDR because HDR is so, sort of sort of sometimes hard to share, but it looks great, the colors and the HDR. So yeah, it's definitely one of those things where if you have an HDR display, I would highly recommend playing it in HDR. Uh, specifically, when I say an HDR display, I mean one that can properly like locally dim. Because this is a game, like, and I guess it makes sense, because the original Alan Wake was also all about that, like, dichotomy of, oh, darkness and, and like, bits of light. Uh, Alan Wake 2, obviously, very much the same thing. So having a display that can properly show, like, those shadows, while also, like, having those really bright lights, it's, like, absolutely the uh, recommended way of uh, playing it. That's yeah. no matter which system you're playing it on, I would... If you can play it with an HDR like capable display, yeah, but um, but uh, but overall, like I, I think the initial worries that came from this game because like so many PC ports this year have had like very demanding specs for like kind of almost l- little return. Like the info spec sheet that they released, like people were like, "I need a thirty seventy to run this game in ten eighty p or something like that," and it's like it seems like that that info spec sheet is like a little bit overblown and like it does scale well for like older systems i heard yeah with one exception uh if you are still using a pascal based uh, nvidia card or an rdna1 amd card you're not going to be able to play this it'll boot but like even a 1080 ti is having dips below like 20 fps like at 1080p low settings with fsr like set to quality yeah you're not going to be able to play this game unless you have a graphics card that's like at, at most, like, three or four years old. Mm, okay. 
But what I will say, and this is something that I've mentioned before, maybe not on the podcast, but I I always knew something like this was going to happen when Cross Gen Period ended and we finally got properly like current gen only games. Like there have been obviously some releases lately that are like proper like not properly optimized. There is definitely some games, especially when it comes to stuttering and stuff like that. And like, I don't even, I don't even need to talk about city skylines too. Like the developers themselves have said, yeah, no, we, we, this isn't optimized yet. (laughs) But, um, I remember back when, uh, the PlayStation four and Xbox one were still new around 2015, when you started seeing some properly like non cross gen releases, there was a jump in the system requirements back then. So, I remembered and I considered that when I was originally like uh, upgrading my PC back in 2021, like obviously upgraded again beforehand, like before it really happened because the cross gen period for this generation has been absurdly long, but I don't know. I I sympathize with people that are like, well, graphics cards are so expensive. I don't want to upgrade. That's true. The fact that like, Graphics cards have gotten so out of whack with pricing. That sucks. But this sort of like bump in requirements, even for games that are well optimized, and I would say that for how like good it looks and what it's doing, like Alan Wake 2 is well optimized. If if you're gonna be playing on PC, it, it sucks, but you're going to have to upgrade your system like now. But 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 console performance seems to be okay for this game. Yeah, yeah. So so if you do have a, a current gen console, you can always gotta try that route too, and it seems to be just fine on that uh, yep. as well. But uh, the, I guess the big thing, like with Alan Wake Two, is it. it like, we were just talking about it earlier, but this has dual protagonists now. It's not just Alan. You have a, a new protagonist as well. I believe her name is Saga. I believe. Yeah, Saga Anderson. Okay, and and then so. Uh, I'm, how does this uh, exactly work in the game? Is it like you play through, you can play through one of them entirely, or is it does it does it flip back and forth? Like, how is the structure between their both of their storyline? Okay, so the way it works is that you play the first two chapters as Saga, then you play the first two chapters as uh, Alan, and then after that, you can basically whenever there is a slow point in the story you can swap between the two like at at um most safe um like safe uh safe points uh like and you interact with basically this uh mop this this like janitorial mop and that'll allow you to switch the protagonist you're playing okay. uh if um, why is it a mop uh because a certain character from Control is a major character now in Wake Two. <laughs> yeah, we, we I know we talked about that when you we were starting out this conversation, but like I I, it, I, had, it, I had said, it, who's played Alan Wake One, and I have not played Control. I'm like, oh, do I? Have to yeah, that? yeah, and and that would be a spoiler, but he's literally in the trailers and in interviews. They've said that Adi from Control plays a major role in Alan Wake Two, mm-hmm. and he does. So, um, but uh, yeah, so that's how you switch between the. Uh, protagonists it's interesting because while they both share like gameplay in the sense that like the basic combat the basic like flashlight stuff is the same there are some very different like but like level design and uh stuff like that depending on who you're playing as 
like uh saga is almost like a i'm not gonna say metroidvania but in the sense that you can like revisit um older areas you've been to with uh, stuff that you found to like uh pick up stuff like uh cult stashes that have like resources and whatnot and you can find like these lunch boxes that have manuscripts uh, uh threads that you can use to upgrade the weapons you found and stuff like that uh alan is different because the place he's in is the dark place which if you've played alan wake one you know that that's where he got stuck in at the end of alan wake one and it's the entire like the the dark place operates on dream logic so while like saga is out in the real world and basically things while there are horrors that happen things stay mostly logical that's not the case for the dark place and so sometimes you have to like progress based off of dream logic and like using like like finding like bastions of light that you can pick up and then bring to other places to try and like uh shift the environment and uh in different ways to progress for, uh forward and then because the way the dark place is influenced is by Alan's writing sometimes you'll find these scenes where Alan realizes that he can write a story about that scene using like a like a keyword and that'll actually drastically change the scene and maybe allow for a for him to move forward and it's really cool because you enter in that keyword and then it's like you see this like kind of like flash while you're still looking at the scene of of him like typing on a typewriter and then immediately it like with a snap of of like your fingers it's like the the environment just changes I, I really that's really exciting because like remedy like really flirted uh, a lot with like ch- shifting environments and controls seeing like the transition of like how like your surroundings will like gradually transform into another thing at certain points in control and seeing that um kind of concept expanded in Alan Wake 2 now in the dark place that seems really exciting because that's that that's something remedy is really good at I just like kind of like really providing really com- visually compelling environments something that like just like it looks very surreal the more you look at it yeah it's yeah it's it's just incredible the art direction of the game mm-hmm. not not even like accounting for the fact that the visuals like the tech going into them is just like top like top notch i was actually gonna ask about this because like like some pre-release stuff for alan wake to, to look like they also had like some snippets of like live action scenes is that like just like, live action scenes or like is that actually just their graphical in-game renderer being that there good? are no there are some okay. live action stuff <laughs> okay uh there's some really really uh fun uh moments that they take um take advantage of it but it's like you know remedy ever since like quantum break they've kind yeah. of flirted with those like um uh those uh live action stuff and i feel like the way it's integrated here is really really good really really good yeah so, so that's a, like i but i know like i i don't know the what was like the file size for this game because i know in quantum break like that file size got really bloated because of how much live action um like 4k scenes were in it yep so so how like compared to this i guess alan week 2 like as big as quantum break file size wise or is it just like or is it kind of dialed back on like the live action like the length of the live action stuff uh the live action stuff is uh whenever it's used it's not used for a super extended period of time it's only for like a couple of minutes at okay. most and then there's like uh, like if 
Control had live action segments where it's like you kind of could see stuff and it was like a like a recording and it was like mm-hmm. something that you could see in the background and you could like interact with the view, but it wasn't really a massive part of the game. Uh, there's a lot of that in uh, Alan Wake 2. Yeah. Uh, there is one specific segment that really makes use of the live action stuff in conjunction with the regular game. I don't want to spoil what it does, but it is uh, everyone I've seen that's gotten to that part agrees. It's one of the most delightful uh, moments in a video game this year. Just amazing. <laughs> so hey, does this have um, like the those usually remedy likes like to include like little like little mini TV show clips. Um in their games whenever there's like a TV screen around. Does that, does Alan Wake 2 have that or no? Uh, yes. Um, so there's uh, like uh, radio broadcasts that you can listen to from uh, a character in Bright Falls. There's also a pair of brothers, the uh, Cascala brothers. I've probably butchered that where they have all these different like uh, commercials that are comically poorly acted and oh, you can awesome. okay. you can see those and it's really really funny whenever you whenever you can that, see that's one. my favorite part of playing any remedy game is like watching those for a little bit because they they'd like to include some like really goofy stuff in those like very missable things if you're not paying attention yeah that's cool i'm like yeah i need to do an alan wake one replay because when i go to this i kind of just want to be super caught up and fresh on the on the story because it seems to be very hmm. Very intertwined with uh, both Control and Alan Wake 1. They just haven't had time to do it. But, you know, it, uh, this looks really, really promising. I'm really glad to see, you know, just... It, it's been in development for so long. And also, Remedy's working on, like, remakes of, like, Max Payne 1 and 2, I think, too. It's going to be interesting to see how that shapes up as well. So, you know, it, it's... Remedy's on the up and up. I'm really happy to see them um, continuing to find success because that's a really, really special uh, development studio they found like a real cool unique niche that no one else was quite working in the exact same space they are yeah so thank you james for kind of taking us on a little bit of a side quest to talk about alan wake 2 i guess uh we have a few more games that we could talk about that are also kind of off the beaten path but i will kind of lasso us back and forth and i'll bring us back to the rpg space um, with a game that we've already talked about previously on the podcast when it came out in September, and that is Starfield. So I know we're going to have some more time to talk about this game with the end of the year podcast in a limited uh, sense. But I had mentioned, I forget if we were recording at the time or not, but I had mentioned that before the end of the year, the two big games that I wanted to hit so that I could speak to were Diablo 4, which I still haven't done, and Starfield, which I've started. So we talked about Starfield with uh, when it released, so I probably won't spend a ton of time on it here. I just want to give my kind of my initial thoughts. I'm about 10 to 15 hours in. And I've spent a lot of time playing Fallout 4, Fallout 76, and Skyrim and other Bethesda titles. So I wanted to jump on this when it first came out, but didn't have a clean slate at the time. It was Baldur's Gate 3. But then I had a chance to do it, so I went ahead and jumped in. And the first thing that I'll say that was kind of surprising to me was it was hard for me not to bounce off this game. I would like boot it up and it wouldn't latch on. So like, yeah, I'll go play something else. And I'm like, oh, I really should play Starfield. I boot it up and then I'd get distracted by something. Like I, I would get bored. Let me let me uh, bounce reason, off of that. Let me bounce off of that. I know a handful of people who had a very similar experience where more or less they basically said like pretty much for the first 15, 20 hours of this game, I didn't really 
like it, but then they started to like it more and more and more after that point. Like once they kind of got acclimated to it, I guess. But I that's sort of that general sentiment in terms of like initial, you know, impressions or maybe wanting to bounce off. I've heard that before. Yeah, and it's I there's a lot of reasons for it, but that I'm trying to be like self-reflective. Like so, like why was that? So I was able to like overcome that initial hurdle but but i'm trying to be honest with myself and say it was there if i didn't contribute in a small way to this website i could see myself never going back to it but i was like come on brian you're obligated you should play it and the fact that i was i don't know why i was in that space but i was um but i just kind of forced myself to seep through it and then eventually i'm like all right i'm i mean i'm seeing what i'm what it's trying to do i'm enjoying myself i kind of have like a plan now or a rhythm and there's a lot of reasons for that first of all the game is not very cinematic and I, I know that sounds very like small brained of me or whatever but like there was nothing there that latched me on from like an excitement standpoint the 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 premise of the game and its quest is very very straightforward it's a lot of we don't know what we're doing but we're going to gather these magical MacGuffins, this artifacts. We don't know what they are but we should try to gather them all and put them together because that seems like a thing we should be doing right and then there's like a mysterious kind of sovereign uh, from Mass Effect moment where someone basically says, no, you don't know what you're dealing with. And like, well, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, and there's like a lot of intrigue there. And it's like, that's the, f the first eight to 10 hours of story. It was basically, let's gather these things. We can kind of track what they are, but we don't know what they are. Um, and you should just go and you're you're just a person that just happened to be like looped into this and this group constellation that's the name of like the the major players uh, in this universe they just immediately trust you and like we're going to send you out to be our gopher for all these things like oh okay and the thing is is that uh this game i'm enjoying it now I won't say in spite of the story but kind of like the story doesn't matter which if you've ever played Skyrim you kind of know exactly what that is. Like, you're just like, ah, oh, put that on the back burner. I don't care anymore. Uh, but there's a lot of other systems at play that when I was first playing, I was just overly confused. And I don't know if it's just because I'm on the wrong side of 30. My brain isn't malleable anymore. Or maybe I'm just too stupid. But I was like, I don't understand how surveying works. I don't understand how, like, suit environmental protection works. Because I keep being, I'm on a cold planet or moon, and I'm told my suit protection has run out. And I, if I go to my suit, it has a number that says, like, it has thermal resistance 30. What does that mean? How does how, Can I go on to colder planets, or is it for a longer period of time? I don't know. I can assign crew to, like, outposts, and then those can give me resources. Or when I survey things, I can, like, pull out my drill and literally, like carve iron or cobalt or whatever out of the rock or but sometimes it's something that you have to pick up out of like a pool of acid where you don't use your drill or you scan flora or fauna and what do you do with the survey stuff anyway i guess you just sell it to get money what do you do with the money um then there's crafting and research and basically there's a lot of interlocking systems that i it's kind of like a monkey's paw where i'm like I kind of wish that they tutorialized it better, but I'm also kind of glad they didn't because we, no one wants over tutorialization either. You just kind of have to swim not knowing what you're doing for a longer period of time than I'm typically used to, or most games are too, they don't want to have you floundering because you're going to have that initial reaction to bounce off. And I think that's what Starfield's kind of flirting with there. It's like, I could see a lot of people bouncing off. And I'm coming from a place where I can kind of draw analog to like, oh, this is kind of like equivalent to this mechanic in Fallout or this mechanic in 
in Skyrim or whatever. If someone's coming to this game not having that, it would be even uh, a larger hurdle. But once I got past that, once I started learning, and this did involve a little bit of me like going to YouTube pages and fandom pages and things like that. So I did kind of go outside the game itself to t- to kind of learn what I was doing, which I don't know if that's cheating or not, but it helped me kind of not bounce off. So I'm going to say it was okay. But past that point, I'm now at a place where I'm really starting to learn like, okay, I really enjoy how this game's setup works in terms of the like the perk system. The and I know like when we talk about RPGs, there's always perks or talents. But I remember when I was asking James about this when he had played it earlier, like, is there any sort of um the like Fallout has its special stats or Skyrim has the more standard stat allotment? Uh or you you level up skills to 100 with with skill points. Like, how does it work here? And this one, everything is basically embedded within the talent tree itself. And it works in a way that I think actually feels really, really meaningful in terms of being able to specialize in a character that's only good at combat, but not good at stealth or very good at research, but not good at um, surviving a lot of, uh, of hits or can uh, persuade and avoid combat, but doesn't know how to modify their gun very well. And the not only that, but it has the exercised use we talked about this with the uh, Phantom Liberty with Cyberpunk, where you get better at skills the more you do them. Or of you know Saga, of course, is where we always go to for that. And Starfield also implements that in a in kind of a small way, and probably not as good of a way, but in a way that still works pretty well. Where, for instance, in order for you to get better at to get the second tier, this is a very basic example, to get the second tier ability to pick locks or security doors you have to pick a minimum number of locks or security doors. Or in order to get better at ballistic weapons, you have to defeat enemies with ballistic weapons. It's it's not like you can only get better at skills that you're actively using, which is kind of a limitation that I think I'm okay with. You can't just say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear up my unarmed combat abilities and not use those because you won't be able to unless you actually affect that your play style in that way. So that makes sense. I mean, um, like sometimes I know there's a couple of there's other there's some other RPGs. I, I don't have like a specific example where it's like, I don't know, my character is not very good at unarmed combat yet, but I'm going to just play through the game without using unarmed combat for a while. And then I'm going to like power it up kind of as I go, like while I do other things. But it sounds like with Starfield's implementation, if there was such a thing as unarmed combat, you'd actually have to do it to get better at it. Right, you could only get the very basic like tier of a, of an ability without actually using it. Then you got to use it in order to unlock. So it's a little bit of like an artificial time gate in a way, or an artificial skill gate in a way. It's a little bit of filling bars like, oh, I got to... Like, for instance, here's kind of a silly example. This is an example that I probably could have done away with, but it, but it illustrates what it is. Um, the, there is a perk that increases how much you can carry. In order to tear up that perk... You have to be at like 70% weight limit or higher and sprint. So if you wanted to, you could just like load up on a bunch of like random crap and then just like run circles around your ship <laughs> to, to tear it up if you wanted to. But the, obviously I, I, the intended I, I'm picking use... up all these pots and pans for a reason, guys. <laughs> yeah, obviously the intended use is to um like oh you're you have you're you're equipping 
like very heavy armor or very like or a heavy style weapon or you have lots of resources on you that you're not putting on your ship right away um so clearly you need the this is why you're interested in that perk in the first place so and you're going to be sprinting across planets anyways things like that also this uh, isn't quite what you were getting at but it's kind of a function of rpgs sometimes in that especially starting out it's kind of a weird balance in that in, in rpgs when you're starting out because things are based on like skill levels and bars and meters sometimes your character just kind of sucks like i can't shoot very well i can't run very well i can't take a lot of hits and you kind of just suck um actually one game that kind of comes to mind is alpha protocol i remember when that <laughs> game came out like wow i i i can't shoot a pistol worth crap like i can't hit anything it's like well it's because you suck at shooting pistols level it up um, also, another game that comes to mind is uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance. I remember that game yeah. starting out. You really have to like work within your means. Like, oh boy, I can't fight knights because knights are way too strong. I have to fight peasants instead for now, and then I'll get stronger. And by the end of the game, in that case, you feel in Kingdom Come Deliverance, you feel like a walking demigod. Like, ha, all my stats are high. You can't beat me now. I can flick you and you'll pass away. Sorry. But that's kind of a thing with RPGs sometimes is starting out when you don't have the, the like those skill points or stat points or whatnot, you are in a way gated by the RPG components of it. Like there's nothing you can do besides work around it. I, I, I think, I think context is super important on like how you like how successful they are in delivering that feeling and how immersive it feels like. I think Kingdom Come Devel Deliverance is like actually a really good way of like portraying that because you do feel like just a random nobody that you kind of stepped into the shoes of and you feel like a fucking badass as you develop that character because then they're actually like a, a, a character that's like participating in the story. They're not a silent protagonist. You're constantly making like decisions and like optional, like, you know, sele selecting dialogue on how they should respond to situations. And like you, it, it kind of like, you feel like you're the character progression that it like it feels meaningful and like it's reflected in the story. Yeah, Meanwhile, and also literally in Kingdom Deliverance, you literally are like a peasant. At yes. The so it's yeah. like, of course, you wouldn't be able to take on a knight. Yeah. So it's like it's, it's, it, it definitely gives you that feel of like zero to hero almost um, throughout that whole journey. While in like stuff like Alpha Protocol, like you already like an established like agent. Yeah, going into that, into that, 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 yeah, you just fucking can't do shit, and it's like this. Is so I, rem stupid. I remember it's YouTube still funny, videos, but it's like so stupid. I remember YouTube videos at the time. Uh, if I remember right, one that like ended up being viral was like he had his crosshairs like dead nuts on someone's head, fired and missed because it's all orange <laughs> because because it like rolls dice behind the scenes, right? Yes. Um, and it's like, wait, why did I miss? And you know, it's like, well, it's because you're what's your pistols? Skill. I forget how Alpha Protocol set up, um, and that's and that's something that like that I'm, I'm not saying that's an illegitimate gripe. It's just that when you don't understand the the game, or you not maybe not understand, but you're that's not the style of game you're looking for. You're like, oh, I don't want that to be controlled by an RNG role behind the scenes. I want that to be controlled by my input, by my player skill. Uh, and then that's just like, well, what's the vision of the game versus what does the gamer want out of it, etc. Right. Uh, so in Star in Starfield, the the thing that I I've been finding myself comparing this in my head to cyberpunk, even though the games are not really that similar, they're first person, quote, quote, Western RPGs. And I know Starfield, you can play in third person. But other than that, they they have like kind of opposite philosophies on everything. I remember Starfield when it released got some criticism for 
it's not an open game in terms of when you're flying across the solar field uh solar system in the in the galaxy you don't take your ship from one end and pilot it to another you like travel between sequential nodes and and star systems and things like that um within each region there's a decent amount of explorable space but if you're going from the alpha centauri uh sol- solar system to our solar system you just select it from a from a from a menu and for some people that was you know a loss of immersion and that's that's fine you might you might have been going into this game having played i haven't i haven't played games like elite dangerous or no man's sky or things like that that might do something like that where it's like well why why can't starfield and they know that's 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 a question that's impossible to answer maybe they could but they didn't want to they didn't want to focus on that they didn't think that elevated what they were trying to shoot for in this game i will say that starfield has the same sort of deficiencies that all recent Bethesda games have in terms of like animation qualities. Like when characters are like turning to speak to you, they'll like shift their shoulders to square, square up and then you can speak to them or like they'll like robotically get out of bed, face exactly opposite from where they were laying down and then turn to talk to you. Like it seems very mechanical in a way. Which, if you played a game like Cyberpunk, it's very opposite. Where in Cyberpunk, every single animation is so like deliberately crafted. I, I've called that game, or I, I guess I'm more like repeated someone else calling that game, the best game where you stand and talk to people or sit and talk to people. But in Starfield, there are so many more people to talk to. I know in Cyberpunk, Night City, the main setting was kind of um, criticized for being very thin. There's not a lot to do. You can't enter most buildings. 99% of the people you you see on the on the um just in the in a regular playthrough is a civilian you can't interact with. Where in Starfield what's really surprised me and when I went to the location called Neon, uh, I forget where it is, but it's kind of like this tall almost like a it's like an oil rig. It's like it's like a suspended large mega structure overlaying like a giant ocean that has multiple tiers and you can climb up the outside. And what really when I was playing through that area for the first time, I realized like all the different shops that I could enter, all the different named characters. Not every named character had a lot of meaningful stuff to do, but there were just the sheer number of characters put Cyberpunk to shame. And I'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing. It's just a different focus uh, of trying to make it feel like there's a lot of interacting personalities and different types of people. Some of these people are businessmen or shopkeepers or, or children. Um, and then like they have little micro quests. Like I, I didn't actually complete the quest, but this one quest you go into this shop and it's this guy and his robot and the robot was like vandalized to have like flame decals on him. And he's like, I don't know who vandalized my robot (laughs) and things like that. It's just like goofy. Um, and like cyberpunk doesn't have any of that. You go to a shop in cyberpunk and you have two dialogue options. You have, can I see your shop list? And then almost like a robot, every single shop in cyberpunk, you can ask like one question like sure do you get a lot of business on the street and then they'll just say something and then that's the last time you can ever interact with that shopkeeper in any way other than talking to them about their inventory um and that kind of summarized like i was comparing neon and starfield to night city and cyberpunk and that kind of is just symbolized to me what the two games are focusing on. And I'm not trying to make any de- declaration of what's better or worse, because I don't know how much I'm going to like Starfield in the end. I'm only 10 hours in. Uh, but it was just, that was when I said like, oh, wow, this is a very, very different game going for something completely different. So I can't really judge them on the same, with the same ruler, with the same yardstick on their same merits. 
But I've once I've gotten over that hump, I'm enjoying Starfield a hell of a lot. Uh, it is kind of one of those games that just shuts up and lets you play. Like I haven't even really interfaced with the outpost system yet, but I have enough crew, which is a mechanic in the game, where I could start thinking about it. Uh, so I mean, it's not something I ever really interfaced with much with Fallout Four, where you build like the settlements or whatever. So it's kind of like an analog to that. But I, I'll, I'll I'll at least try to get my feet wet and not just ignore it entirely, because I bet once I get into it, I could probably find it a lot of fun. But that's kind of my initial take on Starfield is that I was really hesitant to play it at first. But once I kind of started to understand all how all the systems work together, I ended up I'm enjoying it a hell of a lot now. I'm eager to actually kind of get back to playing it after this podcast. Not going to lie. But so I guess you'll hear kind of my final thoughts uh, once we get to ranking it at the end of the year. If it gets to the rankings. I mean, it's this year is going to be tough as hell. This year is insane like there are going to be games in like our top 20 not top 10 that i'm going to be like these games are excellent please play them but they're not in our top 10 (laughs) yeah for me it's like it's like nothing is ever guaranteed uh like you know when it comes to like top 10 ranking list uh, at all so like when people say ah this will this will be on the rank it's like "Mm, we'll see you know i'm I'm always like nothing no i i never ever called like what's game of the year what's what's not until like well sure we only got like a month before you make it is it I don't think there's any major release in uh, November has, uh, has has some pretty good games on, on its. Uh, so November block, has so. November has Star Ocean, Persona, and Gaiden. I think are the main ones. Mm-hmm. But, but then Mario. Like... Oh, yeah. Mario RPG. Oh, Mario. Yeah. Not Mario Wonder. Mario RPG. <laughs> oh yeah, right. So yeah. Well, Mario, Mario RPG is pretty short. We talked about that I think last week. Like, oh yeah. yeah. Luckily, that one you could fit in uh, you know, a day or two or three. So. All I can remember if, from the little game, it was just very charming, but mm-hmm. I can't remember any of the plot details about it. The only thing I remember is there's a Final Fantasy IV music boss. There's a there's a character named Gino who is like the cool one. I mean, like for, for, for me personally, like there's like even like lesser known titles that will that have a strong shot at being at my personal maybe like uh, like it's not an RPG, but Risk of Rain Returns is one that I'm really 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 looking forward to. Um, that's a remake of Risk of Rain. Ra- Rain one with like a lot of tweaks and a new character and a whole rebounds and way, way better netcode that like me and a couple of friends are very looking forward to because we I have spent almost a hundred hours in the first Risk of Rains. I love it a lot. Oh, and, um, and for anyone listening, um, if you're not aware, we've done this for a few years now. Our game of the year stuff goes December through December. We decided on that because we do like our we do our podcast in December. We do our month long poll in December um for our poll for our reader results and whatnot and we just kind of decided we there was times in the past like three or four years ago when we allowed december releases but then it was just kind of awkward when it's like i want to vote for this game that's not out yet and yeah anyways we're just like okay let's just december to december so that means i don't know what releases this december um uh rogue trader and dragon quest monsters those will be on next year's ballot but 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 things like Marvel's Midnight Suns would be eligible this year yes. because it came out in December last year. Yep, that'd be technically eligible. But yeah, like it, like it, we... like this upcoming November, like like a like a game that I've been looking forward to called Small Saga, like an indie RPG oh, yeah. that's been in development for a very long time. Um, that's finally releasing, and I'm like I'm super excited to see how that's shaping up. And like these yeah, these stuff, like they, there are there are games in November that are legitimately like. Hey, this might be really good. <laughs> there's, there's a couple of indie games also. There's um, Broken Roads, which is like Australian yes. Fallout. Yes. There's In Stars and Time, which is sort of like this sort of cartoony monochromatic 
uh, RPG that is sort of mm-hmm. interesting. Um, let's see what else. Gothic two complete. There you go. No, but like, like, like even stuff like For the King Two, which was like oh, yeah. the first game to that was immensely popular for like the for delivering a really like good mm-hmm. like co-op act, co-op turn-based RPG experience, and like and that that sequel seems to be doing like a lot of things better than the first game, and I know the community for that has been like very very uh, enthusiastic about it. Like For the King One has like has a surprisingly big like fan base behind it. Hmm. So we, our last game on the list, we have a little uh, outline that kind of talks about what games we're going to be talking about before going to the news. And we have listed here Mario and Spidey 2. So clearly Spider-Man 2 from Insomniac Games released in a couple uh, couple weeks ago. And we just mentioned Mario Wonder. I have not played either of these, but someone put it on the list. I'm well, not sure who, though. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> James has played Super Mario Wonder. I played a little bit of Super Mario Wonder, um, uh, but uh, but... Both of these, yeah, bo- both of them came out on the same day, so people have to. I didn't realize that. that. Yeah, I've had to uh, decide between one or the other, so I decided to focus more of my efforts on Marvel Spider-Man Two, and I completed it just a few days ago. Re- really had an enjoyable time, but uh, I'll let James speak first on, uh, on uh, Super Mario Wonder because I think I think that game is fantastic so far. Even though I've only put a little bit of time only like in the second world, I finished the first world, and like this is like. One of my like, it, it it's been a long time since like there's been a really really great, uh, 2D Mario game. Like the new Super Mario Brothers games are like okay, but they never really resonated me with me as much as Wonder has. They they've done a really a lot of cool stuff with Wonder. So I'm interested like in what James has to say about it first. Um. Well. Uh. So I guess for some context, uh-huh. uh, I uh. Used to be really into 2D Mario when I was a kid, and I completely forgot about that because uh, I just did not like New Super Mario Bros. Yeah, <laughs> there's something about like, it, it, yeah, it's kind of they felt like stale, you know, like it's kind of like it kind of they're kind of like losing their luster. It's like kind of like, yeah, this is kind of kind of going through the same motions again. It's not really that exciting playing them. But yeah, the wonder is. It's incredible. It, yeah, it's, it's amazing. They have a Mario game that captures the magic of Super Mario World for Super Nintendo. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it, it does. It does because it, it's 100. percent Yeah, I, I'd say so. Yeah, the, the, it, like the, the the level designs in it are like um like f- like legitimately fantastic because of the way that um the wonder seeds work and these are basically um items that you find in a level that will altered the entire environment and like the enemy placements and the general like rules of like how you navigate through that level immediately and you can and and it'll end after a certain point in time um but just the i I've, you get the wonder seats in them i forgot what was the the terminology or what item you used to like uh transform them james I forgot what they what they called them in there mm yeah i forget but there's something like that in there and that's like for all the major levels and then what i really like is that there's like miniature like levels because there's like a new uh, system called the badge system in the game and these are like equipable uh, like one equipable badge that'll alter something about your character so like one of them will be like hey during um a jump you can hold the the right uh trigger to uh take off your hat and use that like almost as like a sort of parachute to glide yeah. down so you have a a longer length uh, in the air to kind of get farther uh, items or coins, 
and then there's another like badge that you can equip instead that like it'll allow you to like do uh one jump up a wall a single time before you go off into the another direction so that can open up like more paths for you to explore in a level and that just depends on like what badge you have equipped and there's all sorts of items so but the the game allows you to experiment with them through like mini levels first before you obtain them to kind of get you um used to like what how how each badge um operates and it it, it, it all of these mini levels are like custom tuned to like to that badge's strength so you can get get a better understanding of it and that i really like those kind of like mini levels as well because they're very very um focused and like and and you get a and you you're very it's very clear in how a badge is used or intended to be used after you complete those levels so it's not like it's not like a, 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 an interface tutorial in the middle of like a big, big level saying like oh this is how you use this badge it's like there, there's custom levels for these badges to intuitively teach you how to use them yourself which yep. i really like yep but uh yeah so it's like the level design is consistently fantastic i don't think there was a single level in the game i actively disliked there were mm-hmm. some that were like uh annoying in the sense that they were tough but not because the level design was bad but because it was like god damn it <laughs> i was like getting angry at myself god damn it uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, but, yeah, it, it, it is, yeah that's that's kind of like refreshing to have in a 2d super mario game like um because like the new super mario brothers games like had very like I wouldn't call them difficult at all, really. That that are kind of for, more forgettable than they are difficult. I I will say that a lot of people like always would argue that New Super Mario Bros. U was like one of the best like two D Mario games, and from a level design perspective, I can see it. But the problem yeah, is, yeah. It, it's that's not challenging though. Like for me, like well, I, no, no, no. It it does get challenging in the later levels. I I can say that much, but not not for me. I didn't I I didn't think it was that challenging, but. Uh, from what I remember, the, like for, for me though, like with Wonder, like it, it kind of the way that enemy placements are designed and the way that they um, operate is like it, it's kind of a lot of it is is down to like how the new enemies function. For example, like the buffalo that charge at you, it like very early on, um, you've obviously a buffalo sees you, it starts charging at you. Okay. Then later on in that level, you're introduced that like these jump buffalo can actually jump and like you'll get hit. You'll probably get hit like the first time you see it for the first time because you're like, oh, I just got to jump over this buffalo. No, this buffalo is about to like jump at you and you don't even know until like it already hits you. Like, oh, these things can actually fucking fucking jump. Okay, so now you have to plan for that, and then they get more and more um, intuitive as like the 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 more, like the later you go on like how they play around with these mechanics, especially like. Say like the like the four star level, the first four star level with like the string of the buffalo horde that you have to ride on to navigate yeah. throughout that level. That's like that's really fun to like kind of learn how to navigate through that and like kind of hundred percent level, because um, because it, it's a pretty fast paced level that like you don't dictate the speed of that. It's the buffalo that you're riding that that's dictating the speed. So you have to kind of react. Finally, your... <laughs> finally, a good auto scroller. <laughs> um. But and also just like the little, all the little um, small details of the animation, like like one of my favorite animations, like when Mario goes through a horizontal pipe, like he'll like kind of z- zip uh, through it, but then he forgets his cap. So like before he fully goes into like the 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 warp pipe, um, he he like gra- his arm comes out of the pipe to grab his cap, 
right before he go, he goes. And like I love that little, just like that small detail to animation. It's like it kind of gives it a lot of personality, in my opinion. Yeah, like the animations and like really, if there was one specific thing for me to focus on with Mario Wonder and what makes it so like just lovable is there you can tell that the developers had fun designing literally everything in the game and it it really is contagious like all the little animations like especially like the differences when you have power-ups for example when you're in the elephant power-up uh like the characters will like get stuck on the pipe for like a split second yeah. before they go all the way through it. It's the like elephant really power. Up. I didn't know how I was going to feel about the elephant power up. I'm going to ask, what does the elephant power up do? Um, it lets you pick up uh, giant shells and it also lets you uh, store water in your trunk, which you can splash out to attack enemies and also to water dried up uh, plants. And also there's at least one level where you can use the water to like put out a fire on a block because there's like the one level or maybe two where one of the gimmicks is is that there's these uh, blocks that shift between being safe to walk on and uh, being uh, red hot and like you're going to hurt yourself if you like walk on them. But if you spray them with water from your trunk or like using a, uh, a, a pot that has water in it, it'll just like force them to be uh, safe uh, no matter what for the rest of the level. So let's just say you lost the power up. Is that possible? Can you beat the level without the power up? Yes, yes, because you still have the vases that you can use to throw onto them at, at, to uh, keep them safe. And also, like I said, they're like cycling between safe and unsafe, even without like dousing them with water. So you just have to time it right. Yeah, like you could, you could, you can definitely go through this game without without a single power up, and you'll be totally fine too if you want to challenge yourself in that way. And there's also, you know, like. Recent Mario games have done this, like where you can store a power up as well. So like, you you can kind of like say you have Fire Mario and Elephant Mario. If you if you're an Elephant form, you can like switch to Fire Mario at any time if you have it stored up with you as well. You were able to collect those without being hit. So you can adapt to the situation as well if you have the the proper power up queued. Um. There's also like a badge that like um, allows you to like start in like just a Super Mario form uh, immediately, uh, for example. So like say you're you made bad decisions and you're stuck with small Mario um, with no power up, you can use that badge to just be auto Super Mario uh, starting out, start uh, getting more power ups again. Yep. It's a dumb question, but this game is four player co-op, right? Yes, but it's uh, different from the new Super Mario Bros. games where. Uh, you cannot create havoc. You cannot uh, bump into people, which uh, depending on who you ask, it's either thank God or uh, they have uh, ruined the soul. So does everyone just pass through people? The other yes. ghosts, like, yeah, it's more like ghosts. I, like. I, to me, that's actually like I remember I was trying to play. It was new Super Mario Bros or you or one of those. Uh, and we only ever played it once because it was way too frustrating because we were trying to like, you know, not cause chaos, but we would inadvertently cause chaos with that. I'm like, man, I wish there was a setting where we just like pass through each other. So like, I'm yeah, I'm so actually really excited for yeah. like just grabbing Mario and playing like you know having a game night where just because you can just bring people who are even like casual gamers uh, just to have a, a good evening eating pizza playing. There's Mario. also there's also like a, a smart decision they made. Like there are some characters I forgot the, exactly which characters were like they can kind of have like almost like invincibility. Like they won't take like um 
like damage, like when they go in like a hazardous uh, area. Um, I forgot which characters they had. There's like two characters that like are like kind of like the easy mode characters. If you have like younger siblings that want to play with you, you don't want them to drag you down much. Um, but they they do I have like I I saw someone on Twitter mention they were playing with their young child who I think is like three or four, and what they ended up doing is they would play as Yoshi, who I think doesn't work like other characters, and then like the the their their daughter would ride Yoshi basically like I need help I'm just gonna jump on my dad who is Yoshi and then they're gonna ride me through the level yeah like oh yeah. that's kind of cute that's good you know what that's they're good. gonna do they're gonna use that Mario jump where they do the third triple jump by dropping the Yoshi below <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the, the four year old's gonna <laughs> sacrifice dad. <laughs> yeah dad Yoshi <laughs> yeah so it's in a great time I, I can't wait to get back to it um whatever I, I do um and it's in a lot. Did you did you finish it, James? Yes, yes, I did. Uh, so I, I heard about that. Like to access the final final level, you need to like a hundred percent get all the collectibles, or like I forgot exactly how you f- unlock that final final level that people are talking about. I, I have seen people say like there's a final level, and then there's a final final level. And yeah, there's final, like final, um, final, depending final on. Level. Yeah, depending on how you like uh, categorize it, there's three final levels. There's the final level for the story. There's the final special level, and then there's an a super secret final level if you complete uh, enough objectives. So basically, once you complete the game, you start unlocking medals. Uh, you get one for just finishing the game. You get one for getting to the top of every flagpole on every level. Or well, you need to get like a uh, touch the top of a fl- of a flagpole on every level. I don't think it necessarily has to be every flagpole. It just has to be at least one on each level. Uh, you, um, you get one for getting all of the, uh, purple coins in each level, the big ones. And I believe you also get one for getting all the wonder seeds. And once you get a certain number of medals, I, I'm not sure if it's all of them or not. Uh, then you unlock the super secret final level, which I have not bothered to do. So (laughs) I heard that level is hell. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a friend who says they played it for seven hours before they beat it. That one level. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, I mean, honestly, fair. though, honestly, though, with how how much work it it takes to get that level, I mean, it, it feels fair for it to be a real yeah, pain in the ass for sure. And you'd hope it it's worth it. Like you'd hope it's like okay, what did I bust my ass for? It's like oh god, yeah, like I would I would hope it. It's like... But that yeah, I'm I'm glad they they knocked it out of the park with. You know, uh, a new 2D Mario game that like kind of it doesn't reinvent the wheel completely, but it get it, it provides a lot of new ideas that really freshen up the formula of a 2D Mario. It's not like something that's like crazy out of this world, but it's like they added just enough to kind of make it fresh and new and like, just it, it it adds a lot of like really creative thinking into their level design based on like how the badges and how the 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 alternate versions of levels work. And, uh, like just even having like things that like moving warp pipes and like those weird fucked up levels like what the fuck is going on and you have like all, all the talking flowers as well like, what, am, what am i playing <laughs> but in a good way um so it, it's i can't wait to play more of it no, i'm excited to get some friends together and play through this yeah and then the second game that i had mentioned on that list was spidey 2 so yeah. I, I had played. I have not played either of the um, the recent Insomniac Spider-Man games or the Miles Morales one. 
Uh, so I don't know if this was something you would play, James, or, or was it you, Josh? It was me. It was me. Um, yeah, I play. I played both the the first uh, Marvel Spider-Man from Insomniac and the Miles Morales like uh, side story um, expansion to it. Um, it Spider-Man Two is uh, it is one of those games that I, I really really enjoyed my time with. I I think it's not like a perfect game. I think like the 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 pacing of the story is a little bit too much for like. It kind of has this thing where it ramps up to like where all the action is. So, for example, the the main thing about this game is you're switching between Peter Parker and Miles Morales, because uh, you know it's kind of like a novel thing in like the video game space of having like of it being uh, a game between like two full Spider-Man campaigns almost that exist side by side. Like you have had other like older Spider-Man games like on the PS1, PS2 era that have had had like um multiple spider-mans like from different like universes but not like full like story arcs they're kind of this kind of like you know kind of a novelty almost um that aspect um and in this one you know the insomniac does a great job of like filling out the peter parker miles morales side of the story it's not just like them as spider-men but also who they are in their like uh, daily lives and the people that they care about and that's like kind of like the what the early story is really um focusing on uh in terms of like peter parker and miles morales and like what they've been up to um you know early on um harry uh osborne uh gets uh into the mix uh because he's had history with peter parker uh and mary jane um and so it's like a lot of uh kind of building up the relationship of um how close peter and harry were before harry um you know, was taken out of the picture because he has he has like this disease that's um kinda incurable with modern science. So at the end of um uh the first Marvel Spider Man, like the end of the post credits of that, um you see a uh, Harry in a tank with like the symbiote. Um and that and like and uh, his dad has been using the symbiote as like as his treatment for it and that he's been in that tank for two years. So he kinda comes back into the mix. And Spider-Man Two, so you kind of get a lot of like catching up between Peter and Harry in that. While while with Miles, Miles kind of has like, I'm not gonna say you know like how younger people like the scope of their problems seem very like trivial between between like grown more grown up problems. For example, like um a, a a younger person like say like an older like a younger nephew might be like they're the the most important thing about like what they have. The month for them is like finish, or the week for them is like finishing this five paragraph essay, and that's all they can think about, and they're stressing over it, right? Um, while yeah. you, you're just like, "Fuck, man, I have like so many other problems." Like, I've good luck on that, but like, you're just thinking about all of the <laughs> bigger stuff. Um, so like at the beginning of like Spider-Man Two, Miles's uh, problem is like trying to fill out this college, uh, this essay for college. Like, what is he gonna write about? Uh, because he's tired. You know, he's thinking about the future of like, say, got college, uh, college applications of what he should write for his essay for this one particular college he wants to go to, and so forth. So it starts, but and of course, like in a classic Spider-Man fashion, it's like a lot of it is like work-life balance, uh, work as in like Spider-Man and life as in like doing other stuff. Because part of Peter's problems too is like trying to land a stable job, um, you know, uh, because every time he tries to get into a job, of course. Trouble calls. He has to go off as Spider Man, so he gets fired from his job um, because he doesn't show up. Or, you know, um, so uh, 
it, it's juggling a lot of things, and I think uh, like the pace of it feels weird because at the you get so many life, uh, real life moments in the main story between Peter and Miles. So it almost feels like like when am I going to play a Spider Man in this story in the main story because it focuses so much on their like lives at that current point in time. And then once it starts, once once it really gets going, once uh, Craven starts entering the picture, and once like you know his organization becomes more and more of a threat to the city. Uh, and so forth. You you don't really get to see much of their like lives anymore. You don't really get much like downtime anymore once things start picking up and more. You go more and more as like Spider Man, which is fine. But it kind of but it kind of gives itself no more room to breathe once things um, ramp up. And like I really enjoyed my time with it. Um, I completed all the side stuff too because while there is like less side stuff to do in uh, in this game compared to the previous entries they kind of made it more meaningful because they have like their own story arcs to them that um you know would it wouldn't have felt it would have felt out of place to kind of integrate them into the main story like for miles he has his whole plot arc with mysterio and um and and, and this is contextualized as like as like almost like time trials uh of, of going through baddies and his illusions and like there's this whole plot arc between like um Quentin, who is Mysterio, like traditionally has has been Mysterio in the comics, and like his associates, and then you have another plot arc um, concerning this uh, um, mysterious like cultist organization called like the the Cultist of the Flame, um, and then it, it, that that's a whole big setup for like a, a, another thing that might come in the future, and it involves like a, a, another another vigilante uh, known as Wraith, um, in that, and once again. Like the 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 developments that are how it ends is like it's it's a potential of like what will introduce down the line, and I think it's one of those things that like they that's how that's how that's how they leverage like having the side content feel meaningful because in the original Spider Man and even in Miles Morales to some extent like there are side stuff to do to kind of get like stuff for upgrades, but like the the context behind them were, was relatively you know thin and sort of repetitive and it's it's still somewhat repetitive in this game but it feels it feels better realized because of like it's kind of giving up a, a, a real story to them now and that and that feels great but other than that like you know it's it's, a, it's another very solid entry in the spider-man series that insomniac has been doing i really like a lot of like the gameplay enhancements about like how you're like you kind of have like almost like eight cooldowns to manage because you have like your four spider-man abilities and like another four for like your gadgets are more integrated into the combat itself because how com how gadgets worked before in the original spider-man they were like so kind of almost out of the way that like you could use them but it was it was more effective to use like your just uh your other spider-man abilities but on this one they kind of found a happy medium between like mixing and matching you using your spider-man abilities and your and your other gadgets um to take down baddies so it's like it's very hectic and just the way this game looks built up from the ps5 is like it's amazing like they, they made that like ray tracing is not like an optional feature anymore it's like that's it's fully built up from, uh, from the ground up with ray tracing uh all you know that's core to the game there's no there's no graphic setting where you take out ray tracing in the game so it just looks really stunning just like 
having that design philosophy and that technology built out through like every facet of like New York that they've uh, made in the game, and it looks super pretty. And like it's one of those things that like it's like man, I kind of wish it's kind of like how every game was like built from the ground up, but like with also having solid performance <laughs> as well. It's not like they did they sacrificed performance um, for this game. You have like your quality and performance modes. Um, but even even performance mode, like the 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 ray tracing looks really really good in it. Just it's it's just a lot of fun to play. You know, it's a it's a video game ass video game when you when it comes down to it, and it feels really sometimes good. that's exactly what you need. Exactly. And even though I haven't played any of these from a distance, I'm still just incredibly impressed by Insomniac. Just like they release these really high quality games at a good clip. And they're not like skimping on anything. It's like wizardry. Like how how yeah. how are they doing this? Yeah, yeah, relative to they... even other uh, Sony's other you know internal studios right. and um you know anyone else, it whatever like you know their project. I, I'm guessing not having worked in that industry. I'm guessing that's like you could chalk it up to like really good project management. I know Insomniac. Uh, they pride themselves on being. I don't know if they do like fully remote, but they have many remote employees that can work from anywhere yeah and in fact they're uh, i know they're a comms person whose name escapes me at the moment he's like i lived in la for 17 years i'm moving somewhere cheaper but i'm not moving my job which he's a he has that flexibility to do that he can work at insomniac wherever he wants to so yeah that's you know the i hate like i hear so many good things about like you know how insomniac insomniac is run just behind the scenes so it's just incredible to see that team like continue to pump out good stuff and just like have a relatively like great like you know culture all around with how they um build their games and the, the project management behind it all so it, it's really it's really um heartening to see that uh just you know because so many other studios unfortunately industry just kind of kind of crumble like you know we were talking about um the the, the creators of lamplighters league uh the hair, hair brain schemes. Hair brain, yeah. Now remind me, Insomniac was eventually actually acquired by Sony, right? Yeah, I know I, I, for the long was, for the for the, oh, for the oh, longest oh, time oh. they weren't. They were, they were all but. Yeah, yeah, I think they were all but, but I think they were officially acquired by Sony after a certain point. But they were, but they've always worked closely with Sony. Very I think well. uh, I think Hard Drive had an article like Insomniac employees surprised to learn they weren't already owned by Sony. <laughs> okay, yeah, I guess that was right before the pandemic. Uh, so yeah, not not that long or not that recent actually. It's been a, it's been Sony for a while, and my brain is just catching up. But yeah, you, you're definitely spot on. Like there's some very tech, like technical wizardry. Like the, like I think Insomniac is still one of those like few bastions of like uh, few like few bastions of gaming where like. Remember when you were a younger kid and you popped into the video games? Like everything that popped on this is like, wow, this is magic. Like, how is this? How does it work? This is like, this is crazy what they're doing. That's Some how of us I feel. Are, mm-hmm. Do you, any of you remember Fuse? Yes, I remember yep. Fuse. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> Insomniac's low point, at least in yes. rec- more, more recent memory. It's just like Absolutely. 10 years ago. That was just like, what is this? Yeah, I remember like them. Like, they, different... I forgot. I forgot. It had a different style, style like at a one cartoony. point. Yeah, yeah, it was just like it, that. That project had like no confidence and sort of felt like trend chasing. And it was that was pro- anyways. I brought that up because it kind of felt like 
at that point, Insomniac was just kind of like, uh, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're what is this? And now they're like on firing on all cylinders. So yeah, yeah, they've they, they found their footing. I I just really love the way that they they kind of like like as like I mentioned earlier, like it just feels like magic, like the the crowd density, the ray tracing, the 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 everywhere, the speed that you're going through the sea, the way like 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 even I remember when I was watching like the Digital Foundry uh, video tech breakdown for this game. Like very very early on, like the Sandman tutorial fight, like at a certain point, like they he throws one of the Spider Men like all across like the other side of the city, only for them to slingshot it back. And it's like holy crap! There's like there's no drops in frame rate or performance whatsoever throughout that whole thing. And it's just like, how the fuck can you do this without like making my PS Five blow up on the spot? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And that's that's insane to think about it's like man that's just really awesome and it's it's incredible how like uh like people always knew that insomniac were really good at <clears throat> what they did but it feels like especially with the ps5 it's just gotten to the point where it's like yeah no like insomniac is just carrying the entire fucking console on their backs right now because like three <laughs> of the exclusives for it are insomniac games <laughs> yeah yeah and, and you, you can see like the like the, the like kind of like the lineage of their tech like throughout each game like like um, Ratchet and Clank like the a rift in time like some of that technology you can see like there are some certain moments in Spider Man too it's like man they were really like used the that Ratchet and Clank technology in that in this game like they kind of passed it through this game and find it even more to like a, an even more impressive degree um the, it's just. It's 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 great, and you know I, I won't say too much about the story in Spider Man Two. I think there's a lot of really interesting revelations, but it's 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 really I really love the dynamic between uh, Peter and Miles because um, it, it's like kind of like this uh, mentor student relationship, and kind of almost you know in some aspects almost passing the torch um, to Miles and see and see him become like his own character, like kind of almost pretty much completing his character arc in development in this game, like fully realizing like what miles isn't just like another like uh peter parker 2.0 he's very much his own character his own he diverges um in some pretty key ways and uh forges his own identity in a meaningful way that feels very much like um his own take of what a spider-man should be and i think that's a really really cool thing to see like manifest and not something that's not told to you it's something that like you see through his actions and through the way the story develops in an organic fashion and i think that's really really tricky to pull off and i think insomnia i saw i saw someone say like miles is such a good dude (laughs) really yeah he's yeah he's such a great great character i love miles i guess Um, you could say he's a friendly neighborhood spider-man right he's yeah, so I'm I'm in, I'm very very curious to see how Insomniac tackles that Wolverine game because that's the next thing that they teased up after Spider-Man Two. They showed that CG trailer for Wolverine, and it's all we know. It just um, needs to be a Gorefest. I'm I'm very like, very excited. Like I, I, I it's Insomniac has done such a like a fantastic job, like understanding like like understanding the DNA of what makes a Spider-Man game really really great, and I'm really interested to see how they interpret like the Wolverine lore because. Like Spider, the the Spider-Man games are not just tuned for like you know the Hollywood MCU audience. It, it is a deep understanding of like even like the comic Spider-Man universes and how they work around that and find a way to kind of have their own interpretation of it and finding ways to make it like their own fresh original take on 
at the same time. It's not just like following in the footsteps of what's been done before, but like, but it's following in the spirit of. So I'm really curious to see what they do with that Wolverine game because, like you know, the only like whenever people think about like what's a, what was the last good Wolverine game is that Wolverine X Men Origins Wolverine game or something like that on like the PS2, and like that's about it. Everything else is like, uh, you know, Ultimate Alliance was cool, the X Men game, um, the and Marvel vs. Capcom Wolverine is fun to play as, but we don't, we've never I'm really like, seen like I'm a like, <laughs> Spider-Man well, web of shadows. Wolverine makes a cameo. You don't play <laughs> as them, but the game is, yeah. the game was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. So like, we don't, we haven't really seen her like a really like awesome Wolverine game yet by himself. Really? So Insomniac oh, has a really big for... opportunity. <laughs> so if they uh-huh. a Wolverine game, what, what do you want the new Wolverine to look like? Do you want a Hugh Jackman look, the comic book look? What? 94. <laughs> What would you want Wolverine to look like? I, I, I'm okay as long as he has like the like has like the 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 really crazy hairstyle of like the, the pointed tips at the opposite ends, and like has like that gruff look. I'm really okay with them not like you. Know, I'm okay either way as long as he has like the key features of like the the crazy pointed hair and like a gruff beard and looking like a general badass and and like in like a, a motorcycle jacket uh, as Logan. Anything else they get, like, I'm fine with. As long as he has, like, those key features that makes him Logan. Um, I'm okay. Like, I, I, I'm not even, like, uh, married to, like, having Wolverine be, like, the, have the, the, the yellow outfit from the X-Men cartoon. Like, I'm okay with it, like, because that's not even, like, my favorite, like, it's a goofy, funny Wolverine outfit, but that's not even, like, my favorite one. I think, like, my favorite, like, Wolverine color scheme is, like, that. I think it was, like, I forgot what the name of the show was, but it had, like, the, the beige... Um, Wolverine outfit. For, I know like, what you're talking about. Yeah, I, it, it was used as a pilot episode for 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 X Men, and oh my god, the, the voice they got for that Wolverine. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like a, it was like the worst like Canadian. It doesn't it doesn't even sound Canadian. It was like some Aussie that voiced it. It was like I, 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 well, I mean I mean Wolverine is it Wolverine Australian or Logan oh, Australian? He's Canadian, man. Oh, Canadian. Oh yeah, he's Canadian. That's right. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's. I think yeah. Hugh Jackman is Australian. Yes, that's what I was going to go That's what I was mixing up with. Um, but yeah, other than that, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't really have much like there, there's not like a whole list of things they have to hit for me to like what makes Wolverine Wolverine, right? Um so I don't know. I don't, just surprise me. I'm really interested to see how uh which voice uh which voice actor they'll have, they'll pick for Wolverine. Uh, in the rough coming game, because uh, Yuri Lowenthal really, really killed it uh, as Peter Parker in uh, the, the Spider-Man games. Like especially in Spidey Two, there are some moments. It's like wow, like that's that's an impressive range for Yuri Yuri Lowenthal, and that's saying something because Yuri Lowenthal has fucking voiced fucking ten thousand things <laughs> at this point. And there's like even some moments it's like wow, that that still really surprises me that Yuri Lowenthal can still like really do this. Uh, I like that certain key moments in Spider-Man. Oh yeah, Yuri Lowenthal's been around forever, but he's never really had, or at least to my memory right now, someone might correct me, like that one iconic role. It's like, oh, he's he's all all these other characters. He's uh, Yosuke. He's um, he's the OG Persona Free protagonist. Oh, is he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he's that one. He's that one Tales of uh, a Luke protagonist. 
and like I don't like I'm trying to think he's like in everything and everyone's like oh my god can we get someone else it's like no he's he's good at his job that's why he keeps getting these roles yeah, but I I think there are, there are certain like sides to Yuri Lowenthal's voice range that like you've never really heard. That's like in Spider-Man. Yeah, I think that's... I think to Josh's point, Yuri Lowenthal has been in a lot of things, and he's a good voice actor. There were times where it was sort of like almost risking being overexposed. Maybe he was, or just like oh, it's, oh, it's he's him Sasuke. Again. That's that's his yeah, he's Sa- Sasuke was like, probably oh, what put him okay. on the map in terms of voice acting. But it sounds like to, to Josh's point, this is kind of like slightly different and surprising territory for him even though he's always been a good voice actor in my opinion yeah yeah he's always been yeah but um... it's like it's like it's like when you put a comedic actor in a dramatic role and they knock it out of the park it's not quite the same thing but same sort of vibe right like you always get like some interesting um sides of like a, of a voice actor if you put them like in opposite roles like I, I'll, I'll give you uh an easy one um uh chow yeah you you do you know the anime code Gias? yes so when they were casting jun fukuyama and, and takihiro sakurai as lelouch and suzaku respectively like traditionally up to that point you would you would expect fukuyama to be suzaku and sakurai to be lelouch or, uh, because of like their dynamics yeah they're, they're because of their tropey they're very they're very tropey the way that they're they, they voice acted up until that certain point because fukuyama had like that soft-spoken um tone that he's known for and then sakurai had like that very like almost cold calculating uh tone to him that you can hear also in, in cl- his voice as cloud from ff7 but when you they they deliberately swapped it to like kind of get them out of their comfort zone and what you saw from both of them in code Geass, it's like it's very very surprising that almost kind of defined fukuyama's role for years to he, come he keeps getting typecast as that cool Lelouch voice now yeah <laughs> because of that and so it, it's very funny to see that like sometimes having a role reversal can almost define like your entire career for a certain amount of time because you're able you're able to produce a performance that's outside your comfort zone that kind of exposes it to like a new crowd like, that's really, uh, I think that's really I'm not sure if I talked about it in Tales of Destiny 2, but uh, uh, Dune Fukuyama is the main character of Tales of Destiny 2, the mm-hmm. Kyle doing this. And yeah. he was using that soft-spoken voice yeah. and still find that guy to be annoying, least uh-huh. like character in that game. Yeah. Him now. So yeah. It's totally different. So it's, uh, I, I, I always love when they, when they like kind of push voice actors into like, into 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 territories that like you're you don't know them for that and then you just hear something totally different from them it's like holy shit i didn't know they had it in them to do that well that kind of covers it for all the different games we wanted to talk about this week so a little bit of kind of hitting pretty much all the major games that have released in the last in the last couple of weeks, uh, not just sticking in the RPG space, though I believe starting next week's podcast, we'll kind of go back into focusing primarily on RPGs. So we might we might have one or two things sneak in. Um, in terms of the news front, like we kind of stated, there's not a whole lot going on uh, this week. You know, publishers and developers have been quite, pretty quiet of, on announcements as we go into the holiday season. Uh, in addition to the Dark Envoy review that Adam put up on the site, we do also have a review for Front Mission 2. So this is the uh, the Forever Entertainment remake uh, that's Switch exclusive. 
Uh, remind me, Adam, this was supposed to release a while ago, but then was indefinitely delayed. Like it we was were expecting supposed this to release in different... summer and then they delayed it at, at the time with no date and then they redated it for October. So I keep hearing gotcha. like there's like localization issues. With I mean, that was basically right. Quentin's focus in his review was like, so Quentin's review on Front Mission 2 is basically the story character, you know, scenario stuff is way more interesting than one. He's still annoyed. Apparently, this mechanic is brought over from the first game in that different mech, the different mechs have different parts that can be destroyed, but you can't really target or choose which one you're aiming for. It's just sort of random. So it can be quite different if you attack an enemy and you take out their their gun arm versus if you take out their left leg or whatever. And that was sort of annoying to him. That's just kind of like, I hit him, but I didn't even hit the right spot. Um, but yes, the main focus of his review is just like the localization was not good at all and it's been patched i guess but apparently it really didn't change a whole lot now that's kind of the interesting thing in that front mission one had like a ds or 3ds remake yeah, some, of, DS, of some port. DS port so yeah so the point is is when they remade it they just used that script at least mostly so it wasn't a localization front mission 2 has it like has a fan script. translation but this there was no official release to go off of so basically this was sort of the you know, the trial for Forever Entertainment. It's like, okay, how are you going to localize this game that's never been officially localized before? Are you going to do a good job or are you not going to do a good job? And the answer is the latter. They did not. So um, that is apparently, I know it's been patched. From what I know, from what I've been told, apparently it's still not in a good sh good shape. So a good state. So I don't, I don't know if, there's, if we expect another patch or if they're going to address it or what. But apparently it's not very good. So. Yeah. Well, it sounds like the game itself is fun and like has some good systems, but just that the translation itself is a clear black spot on yeah, it. Yeah, that the translation and also that like cannot choose which part you're attacking thing were kind of yeah. Quentin Sue hangups. On to the news front. The first thing we'll start off with is uh, last year. We got an announcement of a action RPG spinoff for the mobile game. I hope I pronounced this right. Ark Knights. Is that correct? Yeah. Ark Knights. Yeah, yeah. All right. I keep. I, I know. I normally, I've said R Knights, but Ark Knights. So we got a CG trailer last year for an Ark Knights End Field. Uh, it was announced for PC, mobile devices. You know, the original game is a mobile game that's kind of like tower defense. I actually watched some gameplay to try to, to try to you know educate myself of what it was. And I'm like, oh, this is like tower defense. Um. And we we were we got this announcement that the Hypergriff, the developer and publisher of Ark Knights, was you know going to create this um, action RPG spinoff, and then they 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 created a new social media presence, but then they went dark for for a long time since like last March, like a year and a half. Uh, then they started posting some like character art on their on their Twitter page like last week, and like oh wow, the Ark Knights Enfield Twitter account is actually active again after since, since not being active since um. Last March, uh, they then have since announced a, a new CG trailer. They've released some more gameplay. And basically, it just sounds like you know, no other real details about like, you know, now we're planning to release in 2024 or, or adding consoles to the mix or anything like that. They've just really picked up their their marketing again. And just now you know, this kind of game is kind of back on the radar. Uh, it seems like it's a bit of a, like based on the gameplay that they've shown, the, the trailer is in English, but the gameplay I think is um, is Chinese in terms of voiceover. 
and it's 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 kind of got like a base building aspect to it. It looks kind of neat, but uh, just Arknights Enfield is no longer missing in action, and they're back to kind of posting stuff on their on their marketing channels. Yeah, uh, it's probably worth of... mentioning. It's probably worth mentioning that um, they actually do have like English press. Like they send out a press release in English on this and everything. So, and Genshin does that too. These are both Chinese developed games, and this press release for Arknights is. Arknights Enfield unleashes new story and gameplay trailers to celebrate PC technical test launch in China. So there's a, I guess, upcoming test in China. And that's what these trailers are kind of advertising. Yeah. For that, for that so market. far, it's only, it's only been, you know, announced for PC and mobile um, right here. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess uh, going over like the gameplay, it kind of reminds you of you have this four player party and like the flow of battles kind of reminds you of Xeno, Xenoblade almost. Like it's kind of action RPG with some management aspects and having to do, um, deal with ability skill cooldowns and you see a little bit of like laying down where you're going to have your skills operate as I, 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 like the way like the pull the 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 pulled back camera and the way that the action is portrayed rem does remind me a little bit of xenoblade um from that aspect i don't know exactly exactly how it plays like that um but the the tower building aspect is kind of the most i guess interesting thing about it because it is, you know, it, it, it has been very much in the spirit of Arknights, where Arknights is a game that's tower defense, so you're you're not necessarily constructing towers in Arknights, but you're placing characters as towers. So, like, there's incoming enemies, so you have to place down the appropriate characters to kind of deal with the, these enemy, enemy waves to make sure that they don't reach a specified point in their route, They're making sure that they don't reach the end of their route to, you know invade whatever you're protecting in them so each character that you're uh pulling for in the game has like dedicated roles like sniper characters or you might have like um characters that are good at crowd control and they have a certain weapon uh or skills that uh, can deal with like, multiple enemies at once or some characters can slow down enemies like you know your your typical power defense stuff so i'm interested to see how that gameplay is translated into Enfield if they're kind of going with that uh, sort of that sort of stuff with the tower building aspect in Enfield. It reminds you of a little bit of like I wonder if they're trying to do like an Orcs Must Die um, kind of thing where an Orcs Must Die there there's certainly an action element to like you're you're controlling a character in it that you can that you can use to like um, attack incoming hordes, but most of your um, gameplay in Orcs Must Die was constructing uh, uh, buildings and like traps to sort of deal with incoming enemy waves um, and you, you can't only you can't only just do it with your character you have to rely on these things that you're building to sort of slow down and deal with a lot of these hordes of enemies incoming so I wonder if like Enfield is sort of trying to do that but with uh, but instead of just having one character that you're managing you're you're using this party instead. I wonder what the mission flow of this game is going to be. But I'm not an Arknights. I Knights. guess is that I'm it... not an Arknights player, so I don't know exactly how like how the story is going to be. I don't know where this takes place in the story. I don't know if there's like a prologue or an epilogue or there's like up uh, like happening like in like further in the timeline than Arknights or I don't know any of the story stuff. 
It's time to bring Zach in. <laughs> I was going to say, doesn't Zach play Ark Knights? Yeah, a lot, a lot of like, our people in our community, uh, especially uh, alumni Zach Reese, plays Ark We'll have to get him on once this game releases in 2025. <laughs> yeah, but it looks interesting, you know. It's, it's certainly... I, I don't know who this is for. I don't know if, like... I don't know if the Ark Knights community is like, hey, we're really clamoring for this, because what I... Because, you know, the Ark Knights community... You know, like Arcanites for its like kind of unique tower defense gameplay, and like it's as a, a pretty bleak, depressing but compelling story uh, to it. That's had like some anime adaptations as well. I, I don't know if this is something that like the Arcanites community is like. Yes, I'm looking forward to this, and I don't know if this is if this um, spin-off game is like catching the wider community. Most importantly, the wider community of like people who don't play Arcanites. Is that is this something that's like? Hey, this is something that I'll definitely give a shot because, once again, this is a free-to-play PC and mobile title. So, you know, it's reasonable to assume this will probably have a gotcha system uh, as well to it. And th- th- does that make sense? You know, having a second yeah. gotcha game, but it's also Arc Knights related when you also have the base Arc Knights still ongoing. It's kind of a weird. It, it kind of exists in a weird territory, right? Yeah, it's like they don't want to cannibalize their own audience. Yeah, and there's there's not like with Mahoyo. Mahoyo is like good at like separating these like Genshin, Honkai Impact Third, and Honkai Star Rail. Like all exist in their own separate like continuity. Um, their gameplay is completely different from each other. So yeah, they're completely different games. So yeah, well, this uh, yeah. So, but but even like Honkai Impact Third and Honkai Star Rail aren't like related storyline at all. They kind of exist in their own separate universe. Well, the I, I don't know if Ark Knights Enfield and Ark Knights base game like do they exist in the same continuity, and is that something that like, Ark Knights community is like okay with if like if these are related and they have to like pick up a second gacha game to get the full Ark Knights experience? Kind of a weird thing. I'd say. In kind of a similar vein of a game that was kind of announced with a CG trailer a while ago and then went dark, uh, this game I had forgotten about. Um, in 2021, Tencent and Timmy Studio Group announced an open world action RPG called Honor of Kings World. Uh, a bit, this is based off a, a MOBA that released a few years prior called Honor of Kings. And I didn't remember this game, but then I rewatched the trailer and I was like, oh yeah, this is the one with the sky whales. There's like the, the CG trailer for this just has like two really giant magical sky whales. And for some reason that just like stuck in my head, but I forgot what game I had associated those with. Uh, so that was announced in, um, in 2021 uh, for Tencent. And it was announced that they were working with a uh, Chinese science fiction author, Liu Cixin who I, I'm probably not pronouncing that name quite correctly, who wrote a famous trilogy um, that starts out with the book, The Three-Body Problem. So they're working with Tencent and that author on this game, Honor of King Worlds. And we finally got a new gameplay trailer for this game uh, that just released last week. Um, this, the gameplay trailer is a lot of CG also. So I don't know if it, they call it a gameplay trailer. And it does show a little bit of gameplay, but there's also a lot of CG as well. Uh, Still no announcement of any um, release window or platforms, but just another game that had gone dark for a while, over a year, and is now kind of re-showing itself. 
I think there's a random trivia. I think the free body problem, I think in that movie version of it, they have the Genshin music composer doing the music for it. I think that's where he was discovered. Oh, that's interesting. You know what's also interesting? This is the, the, the gameplay, uh, this new game, uh, six minute gameplay trailer, a lot of it looks like Genshin to me. And I haven't played Genshin in a long ass time. From like this this town that they're exploring, it kind of looks like the starting town in Genshin. A lot of like the the like the boss battles in it kind of right the the cube boss battles early on. Oh my Genshin. god, it's, it's a time to skip. Um, so I I, I don't know. I like, hopefully hopefully it doesn't. It's not a gotcha game. I mean, they haven't set out any really platforms or release date for this game. If there's like a, just a full console title with no gotcha elements. That could be cool. I mean, it does look cool. You know, I'm I'm interested in it, but I'm like I don't want to. I don't want this to be a gotcha game. <laughs> Come on, man. I've tons of good games. So I mean, it it looks it looks interesting. I'll give it that. Like I, the action uh, gameplay in it is very flashy, but then I see like elements of it that like, hey, some of this gameplay is like you're switching between characters to deal with enemy waves. They all the, these characters seem to have different elements and uh, specialize in. I don't know. I don't know. But it, questionable it, elements. I, I, I can't wait. In six years, we'll just. I mean, it's already the case, but. Genshin likes will just be as frequent as Souls likes. No, it's, already, it's, already, it's already fucking happening, man. Uh, like I, I can I think know. of like three off like the top of my head, like <laughs> well, like Wuthering Waves, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. You, you know, very you, bad state. You know what's funny, Chow? Uh, I was trying to think. I was like, I've heard of Honor of Kings somewhere besides just like the MOBA. It's like, oh yeah. Do you remember um the recent Samurai Showdown from SNK? Uh, yes. They they had a DLC guest character that was from Honor of Kings in it. That, that seems really random. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, because you didn't remember who's who's uh, who owns SNK, so just like bunch of oil princes. So it's just like, uh, so I was like, where have you heard of? She's like, oh yeah, there's like that random DLC character in Samurai Shodown that was from Honor of Kings. They also had a character from For, from Ubisoft's For Honor in it. What a fucking weird game, but they're in terms of like DLC guest cameos. I have forgotten about For Honor. Uh huh. I seem like game. Ha- I mean, I'm get- that seems like the sort of game that ha- probably has like this sneaky giant fan base. That- yeah, I, I think it, it does. does have a pretty. Yeah, yeah, I think it does have a pretty de- uh, sizable, dedicated community to it. It's cool, but it's just not not in our view, really. Currently hey. on sale for three dollars on Steam. Oh, really? Okay. I'd rather get a cup of coffee. For Honor is uh, good. Yeah, yeah, I hear For Honor is pretty decent. Like I heard, it's, I heard it's really shaped up. Yeah, I, I've, I haven't heard much. Like I've heard a lot of bad shit about it. Like in the in the, in the past few months, I assume it's it's a, it's a healthy. Spot. All right, so just on Steam, and keeping my, keep in mind this game is uh, however many years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, there's four thousand six hundred forty six people in game on Steam. That's not, That's not counting people that are playing on the Ubisoft launcher, not counting people playing on Epic, and it's cross-play, so it's not counting people on consoles that's either. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's you know pretty good. That yeah, and Steam says this released in 2017, so it's God, it's been that long. Holy, it's almost seven years old, man. Oh my man, god, literally any other fighting game would kill to have that much player retention after almost true. seven years. Oh my god, I can't, I forgot it was like 2017 that game came out. It felt like a 2019 game. Oh, wow. I know, I'm time old. just fucking flies. I'm old. <laughs> I'm old, I'm dying. 
makes me feel old. It's like every time I log into Grand Blue, it'll be like, I, I started in the second year, and now it's like, oh, eight. It's like eight year anniversary. You don't have you don't have to keep on playing Grand Blue. It's okay. Uh, hey, that reminds me. Did you see those uh, Grand Blue versus uh, Rising Changes the other day? Child? Yeah, they look great. They, they, yeah, they look pretty all right. You want to play that that uh, beta coming out? It's also coming to Steam, like that open network beta. November. I'll give it a shot. Let's let's do it. Like it's just like a better game now. Um, I, I don't I, feel I, are still upset. It's like oh no, my it's like my new simple commands don't do full damage. It's like, there's got to be some compromise. I feel you know. Yeah, I I, I think I I'm very I'm very happy that like Side Games was very receptive to like the player feedback for the first beta on that, and they really made they really overhauled that game pretty quickly uh, in the past few months. Like I'm very surprised. So wait, they, wait, wasn't it? So I remember there was a whole thing where like the simple inputs would do the same damage. Did they roll that back or so, what happened? So no, they're, they're trying to make, they're trying to find a middle ground to that. So there, it was more than that. But for that for that specific change, uh, people who do manual commands that are not like in the middle of a combo, like that they canceled into it, it'll do ten percent more damage if they do um, just the manual input, like that's not in the middle of a combo, basically. Uh, for that, it'll it, you still have the same cooldown whether it's like simple command. Or technical input, but if you just do it like in neutral and it connects, it'll be do ten percent more damage. Um, so that, that's the compromise. Pretty fair compromise. That's a pretty fair compromise. because they might, people are tend to disagree because they just want yeah. everything. But it, but in terms of like the throw system and the raging strike system, like a lot there's a lot of complaints about that from the first beta. Uh, they really over to like not over to they they really tuned that up and like made like a pretty reasonable changes to that um whole system and a lot of the complaints that people have of uh, first beta so it's they're really serious about this game they're really serious about making it successful and you know i'm if they if they're willing to like if they're if they continue to be disrespected to player feedback and being open and transparent about like what they're doing with the game like it makes me want to cheer for them and make me want to like it it makes me hopeful for their success um so I, I think this makes me look very forward to Relink. I think Relink can be a very positive product if they are just open to feedback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fingers are crossed on that game. That like turns out to be awesome as well. So yeah, let's let's do it, Chow. Um, when that open beta for Rising starts up, like in I don't know a week or like two weeks. It, it's it. open beta, right? It's not like yeah, it's, it's, it's open, yeah, it's it's open beta. There's no registration or anything. It's like it's between. PS5, PS4, Steam, crossplay, open beta nice. for everyone. So let's fucking go. Sorry for the tangent. All you prevented was you were talking about you know things that had happened a long time ago in 2017. Is a God I, world. Sorry, and like, I, speaking of podcast, old, I, I forgot we were podcasting. I was like, oh yeah, we're in the middle of a podcast too. In the next podcast, well, oh, yeah. we're RPG to Marvel versus Capcom 2. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of old, uh, Level Five has opened up a 25th anniversary website. No. And when I see Level Five in the headlines, I go to Adam. Weren't they going to release four games in okay. 2023? So, so, this, so this is uh, <laughs> this is why I put this. There, there was a tweet uh, from Level Five CEO Akihiro Hiro about this 25th anniversary. Uh, website and he said also in mid-November, Level Five plans to update the 25th anniversary. Sp- or he he plans to release the da- uh, announce release dates for its upcoming titles sometime in November. So 
sometime in November, he will start knowing the release dates for all the fucking title or some of the titles that level five probably plan to release this year. And probably most, if not all of them are probably pushed back to next year, but we'll finally hear some release dates yeah, from these games. It's it's still very funny how like uh, when I had my appointment with uh, level five at Tokyo Game Show, I, I like at right when I finished like playing, I think it was Deca Police. I said, "So this is still planned for twenty twenty three, right?" And the person at the booth that was like, uh, "Like you know how it is with press, like with yeah, yeah. Uh, press, like over shoulder." He said, "Uh, maybe." <laughs> <laughs> The biggest maybe of all time, and he literally said, "Oh, uh, it, we might have, it might, we might need a bit more time." And it's like, "Oh, okay." Uh, very, very interesting that that the official line is still definitely 2023, guys. When <laughs> Level Five Zone employees are saying, "I don't know about that, Chief." <laughs> so well, at least yeah. they're honest about it. Yeah, but but you know, um, it just it, it, it there's also just uh, one that serves as like a mini update that hey we're finally gonna hear some release dates very soon for some of these titles finally. Um, but most importantly, you know, it's kind of just kind of look back at level five. They were established on October twenty eighth, nineteen ninety eight, um, and you know made some of the best fucking games that like you know we have fond memories of, like hey Dragon Quest eight baller. Dark Cloud, baller. Um, Dragon Quest Nine, not as baller. It's still okay. Damn. Dark Cloud Lord, One's I... better than Dark Cloud Two. I'll no way, it's better. <laughs> nope. Golf sucks. You have like four useless party members in one. <laughs> Building that stupid robot sucks. Mm, the English voice actor for Max sounds like Robin from Teen Titans. He sounds like Lloyd from Tales of Symphonia. And, and well, I, I did, and then there are some like lesser popular level five titles that I find that like I like Rogue Galaxy, even though it's like grindy as fuck. White Knight Chronicles want to have a. Soft you know what's a funny? Or... You know what's a fun thing about Rogue Galaxy? What's up? Um, I don't have the details in front of me because I wasn't expecting to talk about it, but apparently, uh-huh. like <laughs> everything you know about the English release of Rogue Galaxy, apparently, like the Japanese release is like ten times worse. Like the, this was back in the day when the English release basically was basically like a deluxe edition. Everything was tweaked and patched and updated. So I think I, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think I vaguely remember that actually. Yeah, I, I remember the Japanese version of Rogue Galaxy. Like its infamous were just like it being very very tedious, but I forgot the specifics of it. I don't know. I don't think I played much of that game. I remember I died in a tutorial fight and just never touched it again. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I really liked the art style. The gameplay was like it's, it, it it got good later on. It's still it was rough at the beginning. Game. One of that. One of the characters looked like uh, Shaho Dune from the Dynasty Warriors series, like Koei Tecmo's interpretation of the character. So I, I that's why I, I that, that honestly, that's kind of why I picked that. It was like, oh man, that character looks like my favorite character in Dynasty Warriors, and that's kind of why I picked it up. To be honest, um, you know. But let's see, other level five thousand. Layton. Layton's good. Layton's pretty pretty there. Generally, pretty good. I, there's there's some bad leaking games. I, All right, I how many body has dropped when the guy that designed the puzzles passed away? Back. I think. Uh, yeah. I'm not. I'm, yeah, I'm not exactly sure too much, I, but there, there's a certain drop off. Yeah, I remember a lot of people will say that the uh, DS uh, trilogy was the best one, and then 
like shortly after I think it was uh, Unwound Future, the uh, the puzzle the like the lead puzzle designer for the series like passed away. Oh. So, 3DS games are still good, but like pretty much everyone agrees that the uh, yeah the, the DS ones I, I like. Now, how many how one. many level five games are we like waiting on? There is a new Layton game. I don't think they've shown there's it like, recently. There's like three more. There's like Deca Police. There's, 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 there's Layton, Deca Police, Level Five, or sorry, okay. uh, Fantasy Life, um, Megaton Musashi, and Inazuma. Yep. That's five games. Yeah, yeah. Five. yes, <laughs> yes. If you scroll all the way down to their new site, they have a list of Level Five next title, and there's like the five games: the Inazuma Eleven, Deca Police, Fantasy Life, uh, Megaton wow. Musashi W, and uh, new Layton uh, game. But what happened to Ushiro? That's right. You're right. What the fuck? Oh man, that's a that's a deep cut. That's not, so funny like that, that Ushiro not, was not announced. Don't even remember that. Ushiro was announced at the same time. This is. It was like a horror game, right? Two thousand and eight or something like that. It was announced at yeah. the same time as Nino Kuni, not the PS3 version, the DS version of Nino Kuni that we never got. And then, like, it went dead for like ten years, and then they re-announced it. Coming to Switch, and then they were dead again. Like, okay, yeah, or, yeah. The reunveiling was so weird because, like, and we never heard after after it again. Yeah, after that, Ushiro's like, it's so funny. It's like, it oh, everyone oh, forgot about it. Then they basically said, "Hey, it's coming finally," and then everyone forgot about it again. Like, okay, what the fuck? Twice. Oh man, I, I, you, you did something to my brain when you mentioned Ushiro. I'm like, oh, <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, at like level five site. They don't even list that anymore, so it's like uh, it's dead, dead. <laughs> Until ten years from now, it's gonna be come out for the Switch too. <laughs> we have re re unveiled it. Let's go. Oh my gosh! Going into some of the last couple news headlines before we wrap up this podcast. This one wasn't quite an announcement, but and it's also not something that's surprising, but it is a little bit of a new nugget of information. So um, we have talked about previously on the podcast for the upcoming Saga game, Saga, I'm blanking on the name, Emerald Beyond? Is that it? Emerald Beyond, yep. Em- okay, yeah, Saga, Saga, Emerald Beyond. Uh, but we, we had asked... Where is the remaster for Saga Frontier 2? Of course, we've had Saga Frontier remastered. We've had all the other Saga games except for Unlimited Saga. But during um, Saga Orchestra Festival 2023... uh, Oh, no. Is that where it was stated? No, it was... um, I'm sorry. Are you talking about the Saga Frontier 2 tease? Yeah. Where where was was it stated at by the character? It was on Tomomi, uh, Tomomi Kobayashi's just personal blog. Oh, so gotcha. I understand it. So, she basically was talking about some. I think there was some saga festival that she was talking about, or some celebration, something. And she mentioned just kind of in passing. By the way, Frontier Two is re-releasing next year. My designs are in it, and that was removed. Um. <laughs> so uh, now the thing is, I, I'm sort of surprised at the timing. I I I am not surprised at all that saga frontier 2 is going to get a remaster at some point but sort of like you have a new brand new game coming out next year i sort of expected the remaster to come out i don't know 2025 just kind of like filling the gap after that rather than releasing 
both a new game and a remaster both next year. I mean, I'm not saying you can't. I just that's a little bit surprising. If anything, um, you would have expected since they've been almost on a yearly cadence for like saga like games, like remasters for the last couple of years. It's like it could have been this year if they wanted to. I don't know. It's, it's well, knowing Square Enix, they're like, all right, it is time. That, like they'll announce Saga Frontier Two Remaster like between now and like January. They're like, we will release it in the middle of February next year. Nothing else is coming out, especially not anything of ours. We're gonna, yeah. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll release it on February twenty ninth. Just for fun. <laughs> For fun, <laughs> yeah. There's like there's nothing else. I mean, what what else is it competing with? No other <laughs> publishers releasing anything on this day. That's true. Absolutely true. <laughs> Actually, when is 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 Shiren like two days before? Yes, yes, it's on the twenty seventh. <laughs> but I mean, hey, maybe it might win. There's always the daily versus Goliath scenario. But yeah, I, I could I could definitely see like, hey, first half of uh, 2024, a, a saga game comes out, then second half another saga game comes out. I think there's still enough room in 2024 to kind of fit both games and have to like, be decently spaced out. Um, you know, and, all right, Saga Frontier Two is not a long game either. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. it's gonna be long. it's gonna be fascinating once uh, Saga Frontier uh, Two Remastered comes out. And then Saga Emerald Beyond comes out. It's like, okay, we've had both a new game and the last possible obstacle between uh, Unlimited Saga getting a, a remaster slash remake. Yeah, they, they, can't, they, can't, they can't push back Unlimited Saga any further now. They have to. Unlimited Saga is inevitable, okay? They'll, they'll you have to confront it. it. They'll skip it and do a... a no, saga no, no. I will write if they skip Unlimited Saga. That's it. Um, uh, I'll, I'll write like a eight thousand word manifesto about me complaining about them skipping Unlimited Saga if they do that. You're gonna love the slot machine battle system. <laughs> I I kind of love this like kind of like it's almost like a, a horror movie version. Like you're kind of dreading till like when they when <laughs> the years counting down till Unlimited Saga gets re released. It's like a, like cue the Jaws theme now. <laughs> We did get a couple of trailers for games that are, well, actually, no, one of these is launching really soon and one of these is launching early next year. Uh, we have a new trailer for Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. I had to cor correct it in my mind that, that the one launching next month is Gaiden and then Infinite Wealth is early next year. Uh, I would almost argue too early, but I guess we'll see. Um, and this is for a like festival island called like Don Donko Resort Island. And the it's a very goofy trailer and it doesn't have a whole lot of meaningful like additions to it but it does have so maybe people like chow or josh can educate me here these two characters gachapin and muku like they are this is probably gonna sound really dumb but are these like japanese muppets almost they're kind of like, like they're kind of they're, they're, think of it like like japanese like sesame street almost uh, i would say they they, they do go they go way far back like they've uh, they've appeared to like in like old thomas the the the, the train episodes in Japan. Like, I think it's I, in Digimon before. Yeah. How <laughs> far back well, it goes. Like, because uh, I thought they, they were they like Grand Blue Fantasy Nineties. characters. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I'm like, wearing, oh, wait, they're from the 70s. They were in Grand Blue Fantasy to give out free stuff. And everyone, and they had to do like these stunts to get the free stuff for people. <laughs> Everyone's like, don't fail us, Gatchapan. We're going to kill you if you don't get our free <laughs> stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought in the Western world, like Gachapin and Muku are because, like, since Granville is like an international community, a lot of people in the Western world um, have never been exposed to Gachapin and Muku outside of like Granville because they show up there like annually for like their free roll giveaways and like they have a real like uh, at a certain times of the year you can get free rolls, but the amount of uh, rolls you can are given for free is det- det- uh, determined by a roulette when you log into the game. And this roulette is resented by Gachapin and Muku. Um, so people associate Gachapin and Muku with that roulette that they have three rolls that usually only gives you 10, while you see some other people posting on social media saying, holy shit, I got like 100 free rolls, thanks Gachapin and Muku. And you just want to fucking kill those mascot characters because they, they, didn't, they didn't give you the, all those free rolls on like that asshole online. Um, to to yeah. even add more lore to it, they've made a... Uh, event story with them as the main characters and it's just like a literal shit post they're like these like gary stews that comes into the story and they magically kill all the bad guys like oh my god gotcha pin you're so strong <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but they're but they're you know they're 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 child they're child mascot characters um in japan that have, like they kind of there's like no rhyme and reason on like where they show up honestly um, <laughs> in japanese programming from what i know um and then, kind of like Sesame Street, like yeah, Elmo yeah. just shows up somewhere. Yep, exactly. Like, oh, look, it's Elmo or Kermit. <laughs> yeah, and, and I believe um, there's also like more cameos in this uh, Don Doko Island um, that they uh, revealed in like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Like I think uh, like two of the ladies there are like weather reporters or newscasters uh, from uh, Japan, uh, the NHK, I think, I believe. But um, so you know, it, it's very much leading into like. Um, the Japanese culture in terms of like making who's making appearance like cameo wise uh, on that mm. island, but you know this Don Doko island is very much catering to like kind of that Animal Crossing audience that likes to like customize um, their surroundings and having fun mini games and like uh, kind of doing almost like a base building and doing the like, dumb activities. Like at at a certain point in the trailer, you know you go back to Ichiban's like home pad and like at one end of the wall he has like a golden statue. That's like all looks all gaudy looking and like uh, and like stories of katanas and like at the other end of that like uh, room he's like has like a caged tiger like just in there just like hanging out and it's like all right cool <laughs> I guess um, it looks like a lot of dumb fun. Uh, if I remember, did they have like the weather reporting channel girls? That's like yeah, yeah. I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. They they have that. Uh, they've been there. Yeah, that went over my head, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> So, and then you know you can have like re- you can have a uh, residence there and i think it's like kind of there's the this is the main like management sim portion of infinite wealth because you can have like you can have residents show up there and like live there um i guess you can uh, I, I don't know exactly how this translates into like uh in-game resources for the rest of the game and so forth and then there, there's a certain aspect where you have to like um fend uh your island off from like incoming invaders uh, as well so it looks like, you know, a big, goofy, fun side activity that, like, you can spend many, 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 many hours in, um, as usual in a Yakuza game. So, this looks great. This looks a lot of fun and dumb. I wouldn't want it any. I wouldn't want anything less. You know, good on them. We also got a launch trailer for the upcoming Star Ocean: The Second Story R, the remaster that's releasing uh, next week. Um, for the remaster of the second Star Ocean game. And this launch trailer is primarily 
um, story focused. It's very cinematic and epic and shows a lot of the characters. We also did get a big press release that has a lot of the new character art for like the 10 wise men, as well as if you've played the demo, the, the it talks about the feature. I forget what it's called. The feature that summons heroes from other games into oh, your game. Yeah. Assault Action. actions. Yeah. And, and also details um, how new game plus works. And lists out what carries over between games and what doesn't. I did, so it's I did a, it's a... Star Ocean Six over the over the week. It's like eh, this isn't too bad. I, I'm still in that boat mm-hmm. where I feel the third game killed the franchise. Um, well, it's not dead. So yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not. I don't know if it killed the franchise if it's still you know getting uh, I just know it doesn't. It's not at the same value as it used to be. Uh-oh. You say you sound like Shin Megami Tensei fans, dude. It's like, dude, Shin dude, the mainline main, main Shin Megami Tensei is so first. dead, and then there's like more Shin Megami Tensei mainline games coming out. It's Whoa, like, dude, I think it's so dead. More damage than the curse from Cold Steel Four, in my opinion. That, that's, okay, that's that's uh, how that, I could start. That's that, you're you're crazy. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how else to say it. You're crazy. <laughs> but uh, the the one cool thing that came out this week that wasn't just silly, um, um. Came from the launch trailer. This was like Famitsu uh, gave like a, a, a close uh, close up shots of like the the cameo assist only characters. So like you have the protagonist from Star Ocean One all the way to Star Ocean Six. So um, they'll show up in the game as assist only characters. But the the nice thing about the Famitsu feature on them is like it gave them like close up shots of their sprites because you know it's really 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 cool to see like modern interpretations of like. The star of fate from Star Ocean three onwards, all the way to Raymond and Leticia in Star Ocean six, and how they would look in sprite form, um, because all those games, you know, only had three D models for them. Um, so it was really cool to see how the, the how the the close attention to detail that the art team uh, did for their sprites, like it's just not it's not only just them, um, you know, with the like their clothes and their weapons. Uh, in sprite form, but also adopting like their battle stances and how they were in the game in sprite form and how they interpret that. You know what? I kind of wish. So I that's wish. A, that's a really close attention to DDL that I really really enjoy. I, I wish the first Star Ocean get this, this kind of treatment. I wish they like redo like the graphics in the first departure <laughs> arc instead of just like oh it's just a ported PSP version. I kind of wish it was like they would like at least. Release it to to more platforms to, uh, besides PlayStation for first departure, you know. Uh, it's on the Switch. <laughs> oh, is it? I forgot that came out on the Switch. Oh, yeah. Then Don't worry. Well, many many would argue this is the only good Star Ocean game, so they're just they're just you now starting right. at the top. That's true. What did what did you do? I want them to re-release Star Ocean Three because I really like Star Ocean Three gameplay wise. So I don't know. The the, uh, the Chow say that's what they killed the friend. I'm like, well, that's the one. That's kind of one of the games that I had the most fun with. Uh, I don't, I don't deny that the gameplay is good, uh, bad. I just hated the plot twist that came later. I feel like it ruined your complete inversion from the rest of the franchise. I don't know. That the Star Ocean still keeps on trucking along. So if it really did kill it, look, if they really wanted to succeed, they should move on and make a timeline that goes past free. But they haven't because they know. They're too scared to do it from there. Why don't they just remake Star, the, the, the Star Ocean 3 and keep the baller-ass gameplay? But, like, I don't know. You can't rewrite the story. can't rewrite the story. Have you heard any video games of Rick on their ending? Um, from a remake? 
Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> the Final Fantasy VII remake. <laughs> just, just, just get the fucking time first. Gen- yeah. yeah, get the time janitors into the Star Ocean Three remake. Hell yeah. Uh, one sales update: Lords of the Fallen has sold one million units. Um, that, which will constantly a... perpetuate, you know, the conversation between this and Lies of P. Like, oh look, they both reached a million. <laughs> that should be good. That's good for everyone, right? We should be happy for no, both of the studios. That's that's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, I mean, that it, it's huge for both of them because these were like this was like Neo, like Lies of P. That was like Neo was his like first like big big console jab at the console mm-hmm. space, especially with the Souls like. Um, and then this is pretty much uh, CI Games and Hexworks or Hexworks rather like their first like debut title and then like you know how many fucking teams would kill to have like their debut debut title like reach one million holy shit <laughs> yeah like, that's... And i think i mentioned it like last week or the week before this was only in development for about three years because hexworks wasn't even founded until early 2020 <laughs> so that that that's got to be incredible numbers for like the size and scope of the project and like Adam and I always say, that, you know, you might as well go. Uh, you might as well be obnoxious uh, with your marketing rather than being quiet about it, uh, because this is kind of the result of like a very, very um, aggressive, I'd say, and uh, marketing cycle where like just every week it's like, yep, a new Lords of the Fallen trailer came out. Yep, the hands-on previews of Lords of the Fallen came out. You know, they were very aggressive with their marketing. And it pays off, you know. So didn't they have a press release that showed the breakdown of their exact budget? It was like I don't know, like twenty million dollars on game development, ten million on, on something. It was like a total of sixty-six million or something. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't like know. Article of their entire budget or something from the CEO. But yeah, both con- congratulations to both. You know, Lies of P and Lords of the Fallen two um, on reaching um, one million on their on their on their sales. That's that's pretty awesome. That's the Lords of the amazing. Fallen. Yeah. <laughs> AKA. Two Lords, two Fallen. That's right. I should have been. Man. And then what we'll close out with is that. Dying Gacha Game. Sinnoh Alice will be ending service in Japan on January. In January 2024, on the 15th. They had already announced that they were going to close the global version of the game. Uh, in November fifteenth, yeah. Oh, so, so I mean, you know, this was kind of the, the this was this was pretty well known initially for because Yokotaro uh, of Nier Automata fame, Dragon Guard fame, uh, um, was involved with the project. Um, I think that's the only reason why people stick with the game. They like the Yokotaro stories, but the gameplay makes you feel miserable. They're yeah, little, little, like guilt wars that you had to like sync up at proper times. So, so yeah, so I'll get into that. So the developer was Pokelabo on this one, and uh, my friends and I played this global version of Sinnoh Alice for like, ooh, was it like a month or so? Maybe a little bit less, but um, it it was it was the story was interesting. Um, it was very much like. Like dark, corrupted versions of like um, fairy tales, like Red Riding Hood of Cinderella, Snow White, and like you know, and and Yokotaro fashion had like a very like dark, sadistic turn to them. Very much, it's very violent, very not gory, but very it's kind of kind of has a horror aspect to it. Um, 
yeah, very morbid. Um, but the, the, a, a large part of that game, besides kind of like the the single player progression, was um, it had it had a, uh, a guild system where there were daily daily guild wars, like real time PvP against other guilds, and that was very beneficial to ta- partake in to to accumulate resources uh, in that game. So you would have to form up a guild uh, with like I forgot what the max guild size was like eight or ten or whatever maybe a little bit more um and you would have to get a uh for every uh, every day at a certain hour you had to do a guild war with them like a like a like in a certain time slot against another guild in real time pvp and just and you know that's kind of like Kind of a pain in the ass to always like, hey guys, all right, it's Guild War time this time, because um, you know everyone has kind of like real lives to like, <laughs> um, you know things happen in life, and you know you didn't you didn't want to miss out on Guild War as well, so it's like always a pain in the ass to kind of keep up with that stuff. It was fun when we like we we were doing it for like the first while, but after a while it gets really old, and you know, and this. And just by the nature of like the gacha games as a service game, there would be power creep, and that and that, this was a special type of game where like you were encouraged to not really spec out like invest in different characters. You really wanted to invest in like um only a handful of characters that like specialize in roles. So like for for your for your guild, uh, because like for example, I only specialize in like the debuffer buffer role in that game. I didn't specialize in healing i didn't specialize in like uh, frontline melee attack uh roles because you really wanted to dedicate all your resources and uh, plan out all your roles and weapons for like your specific role to maximize the amount of like what you're contributing as your role in that guild war which in some respect is pretty novel and like it kind of gives you a defined role for the greater good but at the same time it's also a pain in the ass to like keep up with um, on a daily basis, especially as power creep uh, is is rolled into the mix, because like more and better, like not characters, but like their weapons you wanted get introduced. So you have to keep up with that, and there'll be like times where like it's like, oh, this banner is like not for me at all. It doesn't cater to my role, so like you can't really partake in it as other people do, uh, and so forth. So it's like a very very basic like ground level like understanding of like that kind of game. And also, like, the gameplay itself wasn't really all that engaging. Because, like, your character would just auto-attack, and then, like, and then you'd have, like, a very basic, like, uh, skill cooldown system to manage, like, when to fire off skills. And, like, in single-player, it's not really that engaging. It only really becomes, like, somewhat engaging during Guild War. And, like, the single-player content, it was kind of whatever. It had a good run because it, it had a good run in 2017. Oh, 2017. Yeah. So this yeah. isn't this isn't one of the you know Square Enix ones where they last a year and a year and a half. Like this one, this one had a good run. I think they yeah. completed the entire story. And yeah, what they were obligated to do. I think at least honestly, like I, what what I would like out of this is like I would like the anime adaptation of it. I think that, that there's some there's some huge potential in like del- delivering that story in a really compelling format through an anime adaptation. And also, I, I will give this game props for having a really, really great OST. Like, I, I have a fucking... I actually bought, like, the al- an album of the Sinnoh Alice OST, um, which I, I rarely ever do. Because um, uh, 
Kabe's work on it is phenomenal. <laughs> it's always good. It's really fucking good. good. Yeah. So I, it's it's definitely an underappreciated, underrated OST, and people a lot of people pass on it because it's like, oh, it's for a gotcha game. It can't have good music, which is you know not not necessarily the case for a lot of that. That covers us for all the news for this episode of the Tetracast. So thank you all for talking about both the RPGs and non-RPGs you've been playing the last couple of weeks. We'll be talking about Star Ocean and a few other things next week as we go into November. I believe we will have podcasts next week. I'm looking at my calendar here. We'll record on... Next week, the week after, the week after, but not on the the, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. That's usually a maybe. Sometimes we do. Yeah, we might. Actually, I, uh, to be honest, do. I don't think we've skipped it recently. Uh, okay, well, I won't be here, but we've learned that I am not necessary for this podcast. So, uh, But I will be rooting from a distance. I will be trying to finish. Well, that's a couple weeks away, so I won't jump the gun. We'll be here next week with another episode of the Tetracast. Uh, you can find the two reviews that we talked about. Dark Envoy and Front Mission 2 Remake up on the site at rpgsite.net. You can find RPG Site on all the social media platforms. Just search for RPG Site on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You should find us there. You can join our Discord by going to discord.gg slash rpgsite or hitting the link at the top of the homepage. Uh, And you can listen to this podcast on all podcast services, whether you listen to us on Spotify or Google Podcasts before they shut that down or Podbay or wherever. Uh, Leave us a review. Leave us a rating. We like to see those. Um, It does help us out. Uh, And you will hear uh, from us next week on the next episode. So until then, stay safe and take care. And we will talk to you all next time. Long live Ushiro. Long live Ushiro. (laughs) 